What's happening, weirdos? This is a fave episode. I love this chat with one of my absolute favorite uh, artists. Uh, I listen to, I think I say this in the episode, I listen to East Forest every single day. We were just putting Leela down, and in the whole house, it was just filled with uh, music to be born to, which was one of our favorites. But we get into all that. Absolutely one of my favorite musicians. Uh, I, I, for some reason, only started listening, even though I knew him. Uh, a couple years ago, and I'm, I haven't looked back. So if you guys don't know him, we're going to play one of his songs at the end of the episode. We talk a little bit about it in the episode, and you'll hear it at the end if you want to stick around for that. I highly recommend that you do. But let's get to it as quickly as possible, as I always say, and then, you know, usually follow through on. If you want to support the show, it really sincerely means so much if you try one of the Pete's Picks. That is the best way to support this always free show. And I hope we have something for you. First up is Ritual, which is my daily multivitamin, which is a complete overhaul on the multivitamin concept, meaning they tell you what's in them. They tell you where that something is from, where they source it from, and what exactly it's doing to your body. And most specifically, it's in a delayed capsule, so I think people are all kind of rolling their eyes about vitamins because they don't get into you. The delayed release capsule releases when it's in your lower intestine, which is where these nutrients get absorbed. So all of that naysaying is out the window. I used to take a multivitamin and then, you know, you get the feeling that you're just peeing it out. With Ritual, I start my day with it. Because it's a released uh, capsule formula, it doesn't interrupt intermittent fasting, which is something that I do. And it just makes me feel ready to start my day. So we all deserve to know what we're putting into our bodies and why, especially when it comes to something we take every day. And Ritual's clean, vegan-friendly multivitamin is formulated with high-quality ingredients, nutrients, in bioavailable forms your body can actually use. You won't find sugar, GMO, major allergens, synthetic fillers, or artificial colorants. Plus, one of my favorite things is the fresh minty taste. So it literally leaves a pleasant, fresh taste in your mouth, and the delayed-release capsule design make taking your vitamins very easy. A multivitamin should contain key nutrients and forms your body can actually use to help fill gaps in the diet. No shady extras. And Ritual's delayed-release capsule design delivers high-quality nutrients, including vitamin D3, very important for the immune system, kind of hard to get, and B12, which is important to me as I don't eat meat and it's hard for us non-meaties to get B12, which is super important, uh, keeping your hair color. It's great for energy. Google B12. It's super, super important. And you'll always know what nutrients you're taking and where they come from thanks to Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain. Now available for women, men, and teens, Ritual multivitamins are scientifically developed to help support the different life stages. Your multivitamins are delivered to your door every month with free shipping always. I love the packaging. It's super minimal. It's not wasteful. And you can start, snooze, or cancel your subscription anytime. I can attest to how easy that was. I was out of town when they first arrived. I had to snooze it. It was like three clicks on their awesome website. If you don't love Ritual within your first month, they'll refund your first order. So get key nutrients without the BS. Ritual is offering my listeners, weirdos, 10% off during your first three months. So visit Ritual dot com slash weird to start your ritual today that's ritual.com slash weird and show your support of the podcast and get 10% off and get 10% off and I'm so happy to have kitty poo club probably my favorite ad to do is kitty poo club are you a proud cat person did you have your cat walking over your zoom <laughs> all over the keyboard 
messing up important conference calls, but you don't mind because you like living with an enlightened furry being? Yeah, you do. You are, I hope. You love your cat, but that doesn't mean you love having a kitty litter box in your home. So Kitty Poo Club takes care of the most unpleasant part of cat ownership so you can get back to the good part, which is loving your furry friend. Working from home means more time for your morning coffee and the occasional nap, just like your cat. And of course, for your cat to walk across the Zoom keyboard. (laughs) I made the same joke twice. But you love having your furry cat around, but you don't love having to clean up the nasty litter box. So Kitty Poo Club is a convenient all-in-one monthly litter box solution. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are leak-proof, eco-friendly, and even have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, just recycle the box, and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. That means no more changing used litter and no more cleaning the box. And you can customize your order based on how many cats you have. In my mom's case, two, Gizmo and Baby. I signed her up. She loves it. There's no going back to the old way. And you can choose from four different litter types based on your cat. Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk satisfaction guarantee, and you can easily customize or cancel anytime. And right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order, plus a free dome, free scoop, and free shipping when you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com slash weird. Just go to kittypooclub.com slash weird and get 20% off your first order, plus the free dome, scoop, and free shipping when you set up auto ship. That's kittypooclub.com slash weird and show your support of this podcast. Like my mom, whether or not she knows it, I used the promo code when I signed her up. (laughs) And last but not least, I'm wearing them now. I am not even embarrassed of how long I've been wearing my perfect jeans because I hate a hard pant. I don't understand how it's 2021 and we're still walking around in hard pants. Come on, let's evolve. Let's wake up. Everyone should have comfortable, soft pants that also look good. Enter the perfect jean. Val likes them more. In fact, she just ordered a pair, which is great. Uh, She likes them more than any of my other jeans, which are way more expensive and way less comfortable. But these look even better. And they're super soft and flexible. And they look good, so no one needs to know. The fit is unbelievable. I got tired of wearing yoga pants in public like I was Sting or Phil Collins. I couldn't pull it off. And I do, but I didn't understand why we're trapping parts of our bodies and restricting them like they owe us money. Now, no more of that. These are the best pants. I'm not just saying that. These are the best pants I've ever owned. You run into me on the street, I give you permission. Give them a pant a tug. It's going to give. It's going to give. And you're going to be surprised. <laughs> okay, I take that back. Don't do that. Talk to me first, then ask if it's okay. But if you did, you'd see some gift. I haven't taken them off since they arrived. I'd sleep in them if I could, and frankly, I have in the pandemic. I definitely have. They're made from premium stretch fabric that's 2% spandex, 2.5% rayon. For extra comfort and movement that your man parts require, the jean stretches so your nuts ain't crushed, thereby providing the only true home for your bone. They're super soft and with specialized washing, so your jeans literally feel as soft as a baby bottom, and you may even forget you're wearing pants. They're e- and they're beautifully made, constructed utilizing the highest quality materials and sewing techniques to provide you with a product that is built to last. And best of all, they're not khakis. Fuck your khakis and spare your nuts. The perfect jean for the perfectly imperfect men. Just 60 bucks. 
60 when you use your code WEIRDO at checkout. So liberate your lower limbs and with the one and only Perfect Gene. Whether you're working with lemons or lentils, this is my favorite part. A three-leaf clover or a big old honkin' eggplant, the Perfect Gene has you covered. Take a peek at peek, excuse me, at theperfectgene.nyc. That's www.theperfectgene.nyc. Use promo code WEIRDO for 25% off at checkout and show your support of the show. Get the better home for your bone, or in Val's case, the lady zone. Whatever you're into, whatever you got, whatever you want, perfect Jane, perfect Jane. I turned into new material Seinfeld at the end there. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. Enjoy East Forest. Try a Pete's pick. Stay crispy. Be beautiful. Love. Get into it. Uh, well, how's it going, man? Nice to see you. You too. How are you? How you doing? I, I'm doing well. I, you know, I, <clears throat> I have a baby. She, well, she's two and a half, and. Um, because of that, the the quarantine of it all is sort of my second headline, if that makes sense. The first headline is wake <laughs> up and, and be with baby, take care of baby. Um, and then, so my experience isn't typical, I suppose, you know, through the past year that we've just had. Um, I had like this very intense, very wonderful, very rewarding um, project. So it, it made it a different experience for me, I think. Yeah, we've got a sauna behind you. That's a good start. Can you tell if it's a storage unit or a sweating zone? But it's, it's a sweating zone. Yeah, awesome. I, I have one of those too. You do? Ours is wood fired though. I built just a box here in the yard, and it's like old school. I love the ritual of like actually making a fire and tending it and pouring the water. But I love saunas. Love them. I do too. I think you're the first guest. I mean, other guests have noticed the sauna, but nobody's ever been like, I have a sauna. I'm the first guest who's taken a sauna. Not taken a sauna, (laughs) has a sauna. Uh, Unless they, maybe they haven't taken a sauna. No, that's not true. Um, What's his name? Katie, I'm blanking on a name. He's on Reno 911. He's the lead guy. Tom Lennon, forgive me. Tom Lennon has this kind of sauna too. And I'm pretty sure he turned me on to it. And I like pointing this out because I, I am next to an elliptical that I never use. <laughs> and that's got to go. But I do use the sauna almost every single day. It's the shit, man. I really it, – it has all sorts of amazing properties. I mean I've heard stuff about – I mean the immune system. It helps boost your immune system. So it's kind of been a COVID thing. It's like gives me the ad ex- excuse to get in there. That's – whenever I was like – I've been exposed. Uh, I know they – I think <laughs> – my friend Kumail was very up on everything COVID. So I would be like, um, does a sauna kill the virus? And he was like, it does not kill the virus. It does not. <laughs> um, but I was like, do we know? I would always go like, do we know it can survive? It might. Like 200 degrees, not really, but like almost. And I was like, it can't hurt. So I was always jumping in there if I uh, if my mask slipped or whatever it was. But you like the ritual. I'm interested in that because there is like Native American... Uh, you know, sweat lodge is kind of almost a, a stereotype, not a stereotype, but like like something the, the Westerners understand about that yeah. culture. And maybe it, it may or may not be true, but it seemed like the purification of your system, especially before some sort of plant ritual, seemed really important. Or maybe just the sauna itself would be so unpleasant it would push you out of your body. What, what do you know about that? 
I, I do think it is a way of calming your mind. I mean, just on the most basic level, one of the things I like about the most is that it calms me down. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just like, a, it, it's sort of a defrag of my anxiety or my head. And I always feel better. I often take like some magnesium too, because that also just turns up the, the relaxation a notch. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never heard of that. Yeah. But, um, it's true. Um, I have heard and found that it's a great thing to do before psychedelic journeys is hit the sauna because it will calm your body down. It's like doing yoga or something beforehand and just get out of your head. Yeah. And I have experienced a Lakota sweat lodge a couple times. Have you ever done a traditional sweat? No. Like that? I don't even know what it is. Well, you know, like sort of, you said, a Native American sweat lodge. And yeah. it it's so much more intense because it's it's hotter – but way hotter and darker and longer. And, and typically they have these things called gates, which is essentially when they open the door. So you're in there and you might do four gates. So sort of four, uh, like 15, 20, 30 minute bouts. And uh, when I was in one, the first time, the guy leading it, this the Lakota elder, he encouraged people to, as he said, cross over, like essentially pass out. Like, die. <laughs> you know, it's like that feeling like you're going to die. And you yell out, crossover, like fully. I mean, he was hardcore, like fully give in. And right. he's singing the songs. And uh, that's not something I usually do when I take saunas at home. <laughs> I don't tell my partner, wow. crossover. Uh, that's uh, badass. Yeah. I mean, it's really. So I'm reading this really interesting book. I wonder if you've heard of it. Um, it's called The Immortality Key. I've uh, heard of that from. Um, a friend of Grant Hancox, who I know a little bit, he was on Joe Rogan, I believe, right? This guy, this guy, yeah, Mark, yeah, Mark yeah, was yeah on yeah. Joe Rogan, yeah. and he's going to do this podcast. I'm very excited, fantastic. And we've been emailing. It's really fun to email with somebody who will reply uh, with ancient Greek in parentheses, like it's, it's, <laughs> it's on his keyboard. He's like, "Oh, that's funny that you say that because this word." And then he, it's like reading a, an extra chapter of his book. He's so creative and so brilliant. But anyway, the point, his, his, I'm not going to break down the whole hypothesis, but the, the point of psychedelic ritual, uh, as he sees it, was to, was to die before you die. So that was, that was the thing on the wall, I'm pretty sure, at Eleusis, which was where he uh, has a lot of evidence that that's where people in ancient Greece were taking something similar to ayahuasca or similar to mushrooms. And it, was, and it said, if you die before you die, you won't die when you die. So that was the key to immortality, which is so crazy because it takes it out of the realm of myth, meaning if you take these substances, have a death experience, or go in a sweat lodge, have a death experience, and then come back, you have this sort of taste of being something without being yourself i'm sure that makes sense to you but am i being clear totally man two, yeah. two things come to mind and one is sort of it's sort of the same phrase but the opposite the polarity of it is don't die until you die sort of <laughs> right it's like you're going to die so live until you die don't don't die before you die because some are so worried about death that you know it sort of becomes ins i often think that is the main player in everything we do if not the deep undercurrent is essentially this fear of this existential problem of what does it mean to die yeah and so we're reacting to that in all these different 
ways. But I do see, and I was just thinking about that yesterday on a dog walk, of all things, about psychedelics being practiced for death. And yoga is arguably the same thing. I mean, Shavasana, the last pose, the corpse, corpse, pose. The corpse pose. You do the whole yeah. practice to get to the death, and you're essentially just like in Buddhism, too. You're, you're practicing for this moment of transition to essentially maximize it, which is such a crazy idea, like maximizing your death. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you, we're, we both love Ramdas. We'll get to that. But he, I heard him say this quote from another culture. I'm not sure which, but it, um, it was love and death are the great gifts that most people leave unopened. Mm-hmm. It is really trippy. And we are just getting right into this, which I love. But I mean, if you look at the the thought of the bardos, right? So the belief, I believe in Buddhism, mm-hmm. is that when you die, the reason why the, the Tibetan Book of the Dead exists is to like kind of prepare you for the experience of going into these very strange places that if you don't, I'll really dumb it down, but if you don't keep your cool, you might freak, bro. You yeah, might freak. get lost, yeah. And yeah. you might create your own sort of uh, torture if, if you don't just sort of ease with it or get, get lost or just, I mean, I have to think knowing what I know about Buddhism, it has a lot to do with don't resist and try to, and try to let it pass as well. But then that is good psychedelic. Whenever I've taken a psychedelic, it's always just like, just remember, yes, your mantra is yes. I, I don't remember where I read this, but it was like, if something's going to eat you, let it eat you. If something's <laughs> chasing you, let it catch you. Uh, if there's a flood, let it drown you. And it, and that that, I mean, that right there is more sort of evidence that it is this game of like, you're dying, but you have to say yes to it. It's the most counterintuitive thing in the world. But then you do die. You kind of, you're, you've had, I'd love to hear your experiences, but you can have that place where you're not, you're not anything. I remember the last time I took LSD, I, I can't remember it. I don't know if you've ever had that. It's so frustrating because mm-hmm. I couldn't remember it and I couldn't describe it either. And I just kept smiling and saying to Valerie, I just kept saying it's ineffable. It's ineffable. I was saying it like, like an angel or something. I was just like, it's yeah. ineffable. I can't. I can't. It's ineffable, and I have no memory of it. Like there's no memory, and that. What is that place of no memory? What is that place of passing out in a sweat lodge? It's like Pete's gone, Trevor's gone, but being remains. That's the lesson. That's really the holy grail. That's like yeah. the fountain of youth. But it's real. It's like a. It's it's a metaphor for something a, a true spiritual transformation. That was too much. You t- your no, turn. But I think you do remember something. It seems right. Like there is a form. I remember an unrememberableness. Exactly. Exactly. So you remember the mystery. Like you yeah. remember some kind of felt experience and an imprint it left on you about its meaning. And the thing, if we let's call it the mystery, and if it is that thing, it, it is untransferable into words in this reality. It's not the thing you can put your finger on. Like our mind wants to say, well, it's no, it's this, God damn it. And I can right. put it in this box in this hierarchy. Oh, now I'm safe because I figured it out. <laughs> like a home security system. I've yeah. turned on the mystery or I've turned on God. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, it's like all those putting fingers on the dots and the hierarchies in the boxes are inside the larger like sphere of the mystery, love, all that is. So there's no way to be outside of that. And and that's why it becomes this impossible, like you're in a different octave 
of consciousness and you and now we're back down to these octaves and those other ones are still reverberating but we're in this operating system that you can only describe it with the ones and zeros so we have right. to do it through representation and that's why music is so great or art is so great or poetry is so great or dreams everything that's metaphor and without exactness becomes the doorway into that mystery and the yeah. Eric Davis, this philosopher, I've said this quote many times, but he said on my podcast, I love his phrase, the mystery has no edge. And Whoa. it's like, oh, that's, that's a great way of describing it because it means nothing, but it means everything at the same time. You know, it's Buddhist koan in a way. Oh, I love that. I love that. Sorry, I was just taking a note that that was one of my favorite parts because we animate little parts of this show. And I was like, you just said in the first like 15 minutes of this show <laughs> the thing that's like written on my heart that was my huge epiphany the first time i took mushrooms was it's not i understand that there's a time in your life to be the teen maybe we we both were that's going to go fuck off to the church this is all bullshit this is all santa claus um and then i took uh mushrooms and you're like oh, there's some truths that are so big they can only be told with lies. Oh, uh, that's, that's awesome. And, that, and that's it. That's, <laughs> and, and Richard Rohr defines mythology as that. He says, always true, sometimes really happened. And that's where you have, you know, I'm not going to lecture on the Bible. I often get into that mode. But you have mythology overlaying on history. That makes it actually even more confusing. You know what I mean? You're telling there's two there's there is some history. There was a Herod, there was a crucifixion or whatever you want. There was a man named Jesus, and we're gonna sort of potentially mythologize what he was about. Because to to your point, what are we gonna talk about it directly? What is it? My, my Amazon uh, heart? Like, look, here's the mystery. Here the here's the shape of the universe. Like that's that's where what you do specifically your music. I'm such a fan. Um, and we became oh. a fan. We met at the Ram Dass retreat, but I, we became a fan during this quarantine because we needed, and please don't think I'm, I'm degrading you to just good vibes, but like it's good vibes. It's incredible music and it has weight and it can be dark and it can be <laughs> lovely. So it's not just throwing on a kid's album but it has a frequency of somebody who's tasted that mystery and they're bringing it back into sonic waves. And, and oh, we love filling you. the house with it. So we play it every single day uh, in the house and we love it. And it's carried us through the quarantine. Wow. I'm, I'm honored. I, let me ask, is, is your um, child like the music? I found, I've heard Absolutely. that little, little ones, something about the, well, maybe I should backtrack a little bit. Like a lot of, I kind of feel like my music's in two camps. There's the stuff that was recorded inside psilocybin ceremonies and improvised. And then there's the stuff that was recorded in a studio and sort of, it still has elements of improvisation in its creation, but it was thought through. Like the Ram Dass albums, a studio record, whereas uh, Music for Mushrooms or um, Music to Die To, those albums, those are literally from ceremonies. No shit, really? Yeah. yeah. I never would have guessed because we put on Music to Die To it's a funny – I'm a little embarrassed that we're calling it out to Alexa, but that's how people listen to music. And we have to – first of all, <laughs> you are a very difficult to Alexa musician. I have, This is how I, I say it. I go, Alexa, 
play the album held by the artist <laughs> called East Forest. Because if you say play play held by East Forest, it'll go shuffling East Forest. And you're like, fuck what you. Is that, I, what is that all about, man? I can't agree. I hate you. I hate you so much. Because uh, I love your other stuff. But when I am playing with my daughter or whatever, I don't Different. want yeah. the Ram Dass record because I'll be listening to it. Like in, with yeah. my rational brain, I'll be listening to the teachings. And when I'm listening to Hell or Held Kindred, that's something that I can just sort of be. It helps me be. Yeah, more. instrumental. That one, yeah. And like that's just piano and strings. And yeah, so there's different vibes to different records. But um, but Music to Die To, which I thought was a st- studio record because it's so no. gorgeous. That was live? And improvised, yeah. And music Holy shit! Too, yeah. You're well, the coolest! <laughs> I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. I just no, want... I'm patting you on the back. Feel it. I just said you're the coolest. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I'm honored that it graces your home. and It's beautiful. Uh, oh, but it, it. It, it is, I think, if your listeners have that context, if they ever do check out those that music, it's interesting because the whole project began in 2008 where I wanted to make music to journey to for myself because I'd been, I'd had those moments when I was younger with music where I kind of stumbled into these ineffable states that were just like, Oh my, like just with music. Well, mushrooms. I'm saying, <laughs> mushrooms that's insane. like the combination. Yeah. I hear you. There were certain pinnacles of experiences that were just like, it felt like the pinnacle of my entire existence. Yeah, and I, yeah. I couldn't understand it. And I had no, elders or anyone to explain it to me but i wanted to return there and so i thought maybe i could try and make some music just for me to try to get to that feeling essentially Mm. Mm. and so i did that with my very first record and i had an extremely powerful experience sort of almost accidentally uh having that experience again it felt like it really changed who i was and i started giving that record to friends just as a gift yeah, yeah, you gave it to me on a little USB drive, I think. That was music for mushrooms. I mean, that's ten years later. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Great. 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 Yeah. But you're but, still gifting it, is what I like to point. Yes. Out. Yes. And it has it has a little uh, shell on it, like a Fibonacci yes. sort of shell, mm-hmm. which is really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a rabbit hole. But, I mean, long story short, my buddy like pushed me into uh, leading ceremonies mushroom ceremonies with music and i didn't know what i was doing but i just tried to learn and and experience other ceremonies like sweat lodges and ayahuasca san pedro whatever i could find and sound healing information and just develop a protocol over the years and after doing that for five or six years we had a a way of guiding people but my method was to uh, essentially have live loopers and a, a keyboard vocals and some field recordings I had recorded and just create a soundscape and figure out the best way to guide someone through the arc of that journey. Yeah. And some of the records, um, probably about five or six of my albums are just basically recordings of a recorder plugged into the board and, and taking certain songs that were really felt like there were moments where you really got out of your own way and, and you're in a flow state and something else bigger came through. And that isn't all the time, but there are those moments. And what's cool, man, is you're hearing a song really be born. Yeah. So music to be born to is actually all of the albums or songs exist, like birthing. I, I couldn't play those again unless I listen to the record and try to deconstruct, okay, it goes to this chord and then I do right. this. Right, right. Yeah. Are you on psilocybin while you're performing it I a mean, little bit yeah. yeah yeah i mean i can't have too much because i'm 
there's so many knobs and buttons and there's, you know, I was going to say one time, I I feel it. I feel it for sure. I tried to play my guitar. (laughs) It was actually while I was waiting for mushrooms to kick in. Yeah. And I picked up my guitar and I looked down at my hand, my, my left hand on the fretboard and it had like, and I don't normally, I don't have a lot of stories like this where you see like actually boggling, confusing, you can't tell if it's reality type of visualizations. But in that moment, I had like a, I have eight fingers on that hand. Wow. And it really scared me because if you can imagine, like you're, you're waiting for it to kick in, you're not peeking and then you see something that frightens you. Yeah. I had a, the first half of that trip was very bad. Yeah. Kind of, I broke a lot of my own rules. I've told the story before, but I like to point out the reason, one of the main reasons I think I was having a bad trip was I was with a girl I was trying to impress. That's a terrible idea. <laughs> you're always supposed to do it with people you're comfortable crying in front of or throwing up in front of. Yeah. Not some girl you're like, boy, I hope she thinks The face cool. can get totally weird in here. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. totally have to be okay Multiple thinking Multiple eyes on their head. Yeah. Or I've heard stories of maggots crawling on their skin. You need to be okay yeah. with letting them go too. Like you can't mm-hmm. cling to whatever you're around. But anyway, I, I want to hear... So I understand why you don't want the knobs turning into caps of mushrooms. and well, I got I to gotta be the captain of the ship, and so there's a responsibility of like not being drunk while you're, you know, st- literally have your hand on the steering wheel. And I, I, just to be honest, like, I didn't have that kind of fluency as a facilitator to, to say, like, I've journeyed 10,000 times. You know, it's like, no, I'm in the maybe 100 times, and, like, yeah. I have uh, some fluency – but and it's I did I do feel it's very important that you're inviting in a kind of energy or spirit or just opening up to the same wavelength of everybody else, yeah. so that you can follow that arc. What is the arc? That's what I wanted to talk about. Because I mean, yeah. when you're there, I understand that people can identify like LSD comes in waves, for example, mm-hmm. and, and exactly. any anybody could notice, like, wow, I was really going nuts or whatever you want to say and now I'm calm but then you kind of go back up and then you go back down yeah that's easy to notice but especially with mushrooms I, I I don't it's maybe the most daunting thing in the world which is maybe speaks to why you improvise it while it's happening to identify what's happening as it's happening and then think about sure. it after it happened so tell yeah. me a little bit about the structure of a, of a trip I think people who haven't tripped might be interested well, I mean, with mushrooms in particular, it typically sort of there's the quiet time at the beginning where you're waiting for it to activate, but then it has sort of a fast, strong ramp up. Let's just call that the first hour. It might be less for some people, it might be more, and that can be after, kind of intense. It's after the nausea too, right? I mean, or at the same time, yeah. It could be at the same sure. time, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, I, it's been a long time since I've done mushrooms, but I always remember you start feeling sick. And yeah. that's kind of a that's kind of a humbling, not yeah. in a bad way, but like you go in on slightly shaky footing. You're sort of like, I don't yeah. feel so good, and then it's like yeah. a leprechaun, metaphorically speaking. It's like, come with me, my pretty. Literally, yeah. <laughs> no, there's always that feeling. I, I personally, for me, with any mind altering substance, of what have I done? You know, there's always the, even with a, a edible of pot or anything it's like there's always that 15 minutes of like oh no what did i do i i think trevor that is the humility 
they say surfers say you have to respect the ocean. And I think if you're not reverent, I think there's a reverence to going. I always say the same thing. I put it in my mouth and I go, please be gentle. Yes. I go, please yeah. be gentle. <laughs> and dude, not to be too trippy, but when you realize, as you often do on psychedelics, that everything is connected, you really own and embody the idea. And it's very real to you that your intention as you're taking something is a real thing. It's just as real as a, as a bicycle or a tree, like your inner world when you take it isn't an inner world at all. It's just a part of the world. I was tripping out on this last night. I was like, whatever's happening is God's will, if you want to use Christian language, right? So me saying whatever happens is God's will is God's will. You could get paranoid doing this, but I had a, a real sense of calm going, me thinking, I wasn't saying it, I was just thinking, me thinking whatever happens is God's will is, God, is God's will. And I was really right. just going like, this is fucking cool my doubt is god's will you could also just say is the will of reality is the will of reality capital r reality if you want to get funky so like when you're taking it having a little bit of a you're trying to be spacious you're trying to be loving you're trying to be open and you're going like look you're about to have control of the of the thing that i prize control over the most mm. <laughs> so please be please be kind yeah, gentle power is the thing I almost always invocate at the beginning. Gentle power, I love that. Yeah. Very, si very similar. We both say gentle. Yeah, hell gentle yeah. Power. Because if you've been through the paces ever, even a few times, I think after that you're always asking for some gentleness because you are giving up control. Is the I think the the through line of the, or the common denominator of the psychedelic experience, and that is uh, scary. And I think it is a prerequisite for the the journey and the essence of what the medicine is to even exist. Because imagine it was the opposite, where it was completely easy every single time and you always hit nirvana. That means any asshole could take the tic-tac pill and just boom. It's like free nirvana. And it's like, what would be the point? Because it doesn't fall into line with even the soul's journey or the idea of incarnation. If you take the thought process that... The challenges and the friction that we face every day, whether from a thought to big life things, is the point of the journey. It is the grist of the mill. Without that, there is no journey. Yeah, Therefore, right. even in the psychedelic journey, having to give something over or have that element of fear that can create the humbleness, in essence, is the first doorway that opens to you of giving something over. It's sort of because an offering. The, uh, brilliant. The attitude you should have towards a psychedelic trip is the same attitude you should have to this trip. Right. Yeah, that's, yes. <laughs> and it's, we are hallucinating. I mean, science would say that reality is a hallucination, uh, basically created by the mind. And it operates on very similar structures. Um, I have a reminder on my phone. I was reading it in um, Stephen Mitchell's uh, The Gospel According to Jesus, which is a very interesting book with a lot of Buddhist stuff in it as well. Mm. And the mantra of this one Buddhist woman named Sono, I think, was, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. And that's what she would say to everything. Beautiful. And, that, and that's what you, uh, on a trip, you say, you see some weird cookie monster guy and he's eating your legs. Again, I've never had that experience. <laughs> I'm just trying to come up with a funny example of being out of control. And if you say, thank you for everything, I have no complaint whatsoever. 
Or what I do, because it's quicker, I just say, yes, thank you. But when you do that in your sober life, in your non-ceremony life, I've, I've said this a million times, but it's one of the greatest techniques or practices, let's say practice, for reducing <laughs> suffering in my life. Something happens and you thank it, the pain has nowhere to latch onto. It's, it's like Spider-Man sliding off the building. It wants to get into your identity. It wants to go, okay, now I'm the guy who is in the traffic jam on the way to the big award ceremony uh, for greatest comedian in the world. And I'm not going to make it. And I'm pissed. And I say, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. Spider-Man just, whew, bad Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> Slides down the building. It's a wonderful thing. It's a kind of dying in itself, isn't it? Like you were talking exactly. about the practice of dying. It's like the micro death of releasing what you're holding on to or grasping or desiring um, and recognizing that that is the thing that's causing the pain in the moment. Or if there is a friction, that's what the friction is, is a kind of right. a grip on something. Dude, it, it's a stone and a, and a metal rod that you might start a fire with, you know, something that – flint. It's mm -hmm. flint and a rock. And mm -hmm. you're the flint. Yeah. And, and the rock is, is what's happening and you're the flint that rubs up against the rock and that's what creates the spark and the fire. So saying yes, thank you just opts out of, of that. Although if you're really quiet, let me know if you agree – you'll notice that there's part of you that loves being angry. You love oh, it. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah. No, you, there's no time where you exist more than when you're furious and righteous and like, they shouldn't have said that to me. And you're how so alive. you? You're so alive in you're those so moments. Alive, you're so alive, yes. I mean. So if you I, do snap, like have some compassion and be like, yeah, you're also here to enjoy the experience of being an angry guy too. I don't think that we're here to erase the ego or I think that's kind of a trap in the wellness movement personally. Yeah, yeah. tell me. Because it feels like there's a reason we have it. And it's more about being teammates than being enemies. And it's not yeah. a problem. It's just, I think it was, maybe it was Ram Dass about the being a, it's a terrible master, a better it's servant. a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. He says that about the mind. I've also heard the ego likened to a shadow. It's like you don't really get that much being mad at your shadow. But like teaming up with it, it's something that Duncan said. I've said it a million times, but he's like, it's like a, it's like a Bigfoot. It's like a Bigfoot. And, and like, like Harry and the Hendersons, we keep going in the backyard and going, get out of here. Get out of here. Instead of saying, hey, you keep me alive. Like, I know I'm yeah. spirit, but like, you're the thing that helped me get that sandwich. Thank you so much. Because you yeah. knew how to go in like a person and pretend money's a thing and say please and thank you. And you put on pants like you are such an asset to me. And I'm really grateful. But it's it's um, not getting lost in it, but also not getting lost in pretending that it has nothing to do with you. Not being too attached to emptiness. Well, it takes the pressure off when you're not trying to always transcend the ego or say like the ego is the problem. I mean, if it's like Bigfoot, my favorite uh, – this might have been Duncan too – said this uh, about people who go squatching. And one of the things they'll say is like, well, if someone says, I haven't seen Bigfoot yet, so I don't know if this thing exists. And the, the squatcher will just say, well, you're just not ready. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of my favorite phrases to tell, you know, 
Oh, you're not ready. My girlfriend sometimes I'm like, oh, you're just not ready for that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure that's wonderful to hear. Definitely pisses people off. I was going to say it's also a fun, I mean, maybe Sasquatch does exist. I have no idea, but I'm just saying the ego doesn't really exist. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It does exist as a construct, but there is a beautiful thing to say. If I'm the water that flows over a mosaic on the bottom of a pool, like a tiled mosaic, and I'm the water that makes the mosaic shimmer, that gives it this real-looking appearance. doesn't mean it's not real, but it's still real. It's, it's both. It's, it's real and it's not real. But really, the, the deal is the water and the light. And the mosaic just has the appearance of reality. What's weird, if we go back to this idea of, let's say, there's all these different octaves that are infinite, just like sound or light. And it's, we can only hear so much or see so much. But something about like this spacesuit we're in, we're very much able to see clearly the octaves that are in three dimension out. Like here it is. I can see the table and there's the tree and there's my dog. But at the same time, there's these reverberations, like these tentacles that are coming in that we're clearly very ab- able to tap up on those two. And there's sort of like the echoes from all the other uh, octaves and realms that are around us at all times and so psychedelics are a clear way of tuning the antenna to that but just getting quiet or various peak experiences in our lives or breath work all these different ways that it's just right there in front of us i mean you could argue a rainbow how could that possibly just be tapped into tethered to only this three-dimensional reality it seems too there's too much there for me it's like that, that exists too or, or music or all these different ways. And so the echoes of all these other realms that are our realm too are right here. And in some ways, some of them are so obvious that we, we forget or the ego in a sense is, is the one getting used to it. It's like getting used to a beautiful view. Right. It's like, Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> when somebody lives on a beautiful view, their brain literally is conditioned to get better at prioritizing what is important and what isn't important about the view. That's that beginner's mind thing. Can you, I, I've sometimes, yeah. I, I spent a yeah. day, um, just, we had uh, our, our babysitter was here and I just sat in our little backyard. It's a very, very small backyard. Um, but I just sat out there and dude, the things that I notice, I wasn't on anything. I was completely sober. I was drinking coffee. In fact, I was very alert, but I was just doing the yes, thank you mantra. You say yes, thank you to a tree. Mm. And you will notice like, wait, this is a tree and there's another tree growing up behind it and they're sort of hugging and it just looks like one tree. And you're like, how many times have I looked at this tree and I've never seen this tree? And okay, that's just the three-dimensional world. What I love that you keep reminding me of, which is the frequency I'm always trying to stay in, is like those realities that open up when you're on mushrooms or psychedelics or breathwork or yoga or, or meditation or a very, very strong sauna in your experience... Um, they're always here. That was a big breakthrough for me. Yeah. They don't show up because uh, you took a thing. Maybe some people believe they are showing up because you took a thing. In my experience, especially when they're not real, vivid, completely uh, you know, mind-manifesting hallucinations, meaning you see a thing that's really representing your anger, that is your brain entertaining you or teaching you something. But when you look at reality and you see the air and you see the water and you see this world with more vividity that's always here and the stuff the the really weirder stuff but that like 
really faint. It's like painted with the finest gold-tipped brush. <laughs> you see eyes and you see the ancestors in the clouds and they're undulating. I know this kind of maybe sounds nuts, but they're always there. Like, right. just because I'm not tuned into it doesn't mean that you and I are currently underwater in an ocean of <laughs> that's this <laughs> and we go around going no it's a it's an airport mcdonald's the airport mcdonald's is <laughs> that's that is as ancient and eternal it's all sorry i'm preaching but it's all the same moment this moment that we're in this eternal moment is the same moment christ was in it's the same moment right. pick pick your favorite it's the only moment that's ever been yep. and you are in that moment you are no less connected than they could have been because any connection that, that occurs happens in this the only moment it's the only moment it's this one it, yeah, I, yes it, it's a very trippy <laughs> idea but it's it's extremely logical and true it's just it's always now so it's always been now it's always been now yes the things definitely have their arc of birth and death but that is out that's sort of always within the now and so, yes, Jesus was part of this exact same moment. It's now, right. Every ancestor that's ever existed, too, is, is shared these same breaths. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's about a was in this now. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Well, it's peeling back an onion, I think, is the, the vision I see when you talk about that. It's as opposed to adding on layers. Like it's all here and you're sort of taking off the, the shrouds and the th- the glasses that obfuscate the truth that this is it's just right here and so i i've always i had a realization on ayahuasca my first journey and realizing how this thing of nirvana or whatever you want to call it essentially falling into this beautiful fullness of the now is no further away than my next breath and anyone's next breath because it's always here it's about falling into it as to putting on layers to discover it I don't have to sweep the ashram for 20 years. That is a path. It's more like just take your next breath and focus into one place uh, or release in a sense of the things that you're holding to and boom. Right. It's what you are. And that's such a wonderful gift to, you know, to give to all of our, to each of ourselves to think that I don't have to earn anything. I don't even technically have to learn anything because it is what I am and it is what you are. And and from an animistic point of view, you look at the whole world, it's all the same way. Like it's all spirit and life and creation all in this one now. And it all has the same – it's all imbued with that same kernel of whatever's in the middle of that onion. Right, right. And the, it's the ego that does want to earn it. Uh, I think it was I think it was Muji that said – if you gave the ego the choice between the destination, which would be realization, just and by realization I just mean an embodied awareness yeah. that you are everything, that you're not in the world, you are the world. Okay, let's call that. If that's the destination or the journey, the ego will always choose the journey because you don't want to lose your specialness. There's a lot of reasons why you don't want to realize we're everything. I, I find resistance to that, too. I've always wanted to ask, you know, I know we're all everything, but, you know, I don't I, – something I could ask Ramdas, it's like, sure, we're all everything and we're all, we're all just God in drag and we're all as precious as, as any other. But if you had, like, 
uh, it's hard to come up with an example of the of the less lesser. But if you had like a regular Joe Joe Schmo, just a regular Joe Schmo, and then in your left hand and in your right hand, you had Albert Einstein in his prime Uh, and you can only lift up one of them. It's really over a cliff. It's really hard to to be so in oneness. I almost feel like the Buddhist answer is like, I just fall off the cliff with them. Or, uh, you know, like there has to be some sort of snappy. There is no cliff. Yeah, right. There is no cliff or non-answer or like this question is completely missing the point, as I think it may be. But I'm like, I live in a world where I'm aware of the oneness. and I'm, I, But I'm also constantly in a world where I'm like, I'm reading that book and I'm like, holy shit, Mark is, he knows ancient Greek. <laughs> can break these. So my brain then goes, he is valuable. He's valuable. And then I, and then what, what do you do? It's, it's like the Tao good defines bad and, and far defines close all these. It sounds so basic, but as soon as I go valuable, that creates invaluable. You know, it's like, it's like when Trump would say, I come from good stock. I used to find that very <laughs> offensive because you're like, so the, there's so as soon as you have good stock, good German stock or whatever it was, what are you saying that there's there's bad stock? There's some people sure. that you could wipe out. You know that's the extreme ex- the, taking it to a very extreme, but uh, it's a tricky. It's a it's a very that's that's what I'm saying is the resistance to the oneness. When you're really in the oneness, you don't see a difference between Joe Smo or Albert Einstein. Yeah. The closest I can get to understanding it is somebody, Byron Katie said, when you wake up, uh, worrying about waking other people up is like when you wake up from a dream and you were dreaming that you were in a marketplace and you wake up from the dream and you go like, oh, wow, I was dreaming. And then you do you ever go, oh, no, I have to go back and wake up all those people in the marketplace? <laughs> like you just go, it was a dream. Like, like what, what? there's nothing to do. It's just it just is what it is. It's very heady. Does that make any sense? I mean, well, particularly these days, we have some really extreme perceptions on value and we quantify it so intensely, you know, about that uh, if it has more likes or shares or more right. money, it's clearly more valuable. And we look at it very in a very linear fashion, like it's it's just related to numbers and in the language of oneness or the heart or union as you're speaking to, we get into the feeling that uh, the way uh, a, a old grandma takes care of her cat is somehow just as valuable as uh, Elon Musk creating a new solar panel that will change the earth. And, and the mind says that's absurd. Right, uh, right, right. The heart says it, it's not. Uh, and that's the language of the mystery to say, because clearly, if we take the mindset that it's about sort of this natural blossoming, this inevitable soul's journey as all souls into one soul, the whole earth, the whole universe, um, it all has equal measure in a way because it's all sort of this inevitable progress and momentum. Right. Right. And so that that becomes kind of the, a really sticky issue these days because we're living in a soup where we we make things that are clearly more valuable more valuable to us and that's a choice really right it, it well that's i've been reading 
actually, I want to recommend this to you. Stephen Mitchell's Dao De Ching is on. He reads it on uh, iTunes, and cool. it's it's really that's what I was doing when I was sitting in my backyard. Cool, and it's a little fast. It's not like they don't like. I wish they kind of would ring a ring a singing bowl or something after each uh, chapter to give you a second. Um, but because it's fast, you end up hearing so much and it is repetitive in that good way where you're not going to miss it. It's going it, to, you'll get it the next time. You'll get it the next time. It's one of those beautiful texts in that way. But I love what you said. And let me put this to you. When you see the the whole world as one body, that's a little bit easier of a metaphor. Yeah. When, when, when we have great things like the movie Soul, where you see the, the, the bodies turning into light and going into light, that's a great way to understand the oneing, the oneing. But you can also just look at it as cells in a body. And a, an old lady taking care of her cat is as vital as the aggressive cell that's, that's big. It's big and it's going and it's absorbing other cells. And all these cells are following it because it knows where the food is and, or whatever. But like, if it's one body, then this cell is no less precious because it is the ambitious cell. It's, it's, it plays uh, a role. It plays a role. It does its right. dance, as Ramdas would say. We all have our dance that we need to do. Because and, how would you know who Elon, Musk is, Elon Musk's <laughs> fuck it, specialness if you didn't see the beautiful, uh, non-inventing, non-entrepreneurial uh, entity that's next to him? You know what I mean? It's I've had a feeling on journeys where you sense the 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 grand art piece that this all is, and this this co conspiracy of awakening, and how we play these roles with each other to do all these incredible dances. Some are short, some are long, and they're at the moment they need to be in. But they all are this this beautiful weaving, Mm. like every. Every person you come across, every being, everything uh, has a kind of web weaving connection and, and meaning. It even changes the way when you hear a passing phrase on the street, everything can start to be a kind of game and, and a song. Mm-hmm. Or it's a different note in this, this symphony and it's just sort of like – it takes you out of that randomness. And it, again, that's a choice too. It's not wrong to look at it the other way. That doesn't matter which way. You know, I take the viewpoint we all graduate. Time is irrelevant. But it, it makes your life a bit richer. It, it gives you more to fodder to like work with. Yeah. When you said tapestry, I was like, it's, it's, the, ra- it's the brain's job. Because one of the brain's job is to go, this food is uh, good and this food is poison. You know, right. th- that's the uh, function of it. It keeps us alive. This animal is dangerous. This animal is good for sitting on your lap. Uh, this land floods. This land is high and we should. Totally. So that's good. But then it starts to go with your tapestry image. The threads that are very colorful and that go above on the on the blanket, you know, the up <laughs> up weaves <laughs> are better than the dark weaves. The, or the blah, the, like let's say the gray weaves that are on, below. And then you ask a master and you're like, which one's more valuable? And they don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> There's a thing in the Tao Te Ching where he says, the master uses the utensil, the chopstick, but he always remembers the block of wood that they came from. He's like, I- I'm taking two chopsticks, but I'm remembering the block of wood 
meaning, yeah. which is another beautiful way. Well, you're really helping me with my question. I was like, oh, I should ask Ramdas. I'm like, oh, I should ask East Forest. It's like because that specialness. You'll be, because we both love Ramdas. We were talking about specialness, and he said something like, "I was like, how are you?" And he said, "I'm great. Everybody loves me." I think he was <laughs> fucking with me, and I go because we were talking about specialness, and I go, "So it is okay to be special." And he literally, like an old grandma, he went. Like he he t- t- tisked, tisked me, waving his finger, because he knew, as as I'm more and more learning, that my attachment to specialness, you, you've helped me even in this conversation see, of course, I'm having some compassion for myself. We live in a world where it's like, does it make money? Does it get likes? Do people yeah. like it? Is it popular? This is enforced by my culture. It's enforced by our brains. So I, I'm compassionate to myself while at the same time going like, boy, did I buy that hook, line and sinker mm-hmm. and I'll see the guy walking on the beach with a metal detector and my brain because of its conditioning will just go like, well, that guy's not as valuable as Elon Musk, Elon Musk. Oh, that's a winner. He, that's my father's yeah. voice. That's, right. a, that's somebody you can be proud of. Well, the guy with the metal detector, he is holding together the mystery just as well and just as importantly or unimportantly as anybody else. You got to bless all the journeys that you see because who are you to know what it is or what's going on? I mean, Ramdas had that story about when Maharaji told him his mother was a really high level soul and really important, that kind of vibe. And he was just shocked because he's like, my kvetching mother is yeah. – <laughs> and it really blew his mind because he's like, what if – that was just as a thought experiment. He's like, what if that's true? And she's sort of taking on largely this incarnation for me. So right. I can do this whole thing. Now it's so intensely beautiful. Like the, the gift of an incarnation in essence, almost that's maybe is a large part of it is to help him be Ramdas. Um, I don't, it, it breaks the gears of the mind too, because, you know, you look at like, there's just too much. We know too much now and we have information sickness and you just think of all the the horrors and the bad choices and, and it's easy for the mind to say like, well, how could any of that make sense inside this system of thought? And you have to get into this mindset of of not knowing and trust. Now, all of this is baked into religions. And I see, I didn't grow up uh, with uh, a religious background that was very strong. So I don't have any baggage with it, but I also see that this idea of faith I just call it like trust. You know, it's it's all sort of tapping into the same thing, but without the hierarchy of maybe it being sullied by centuries of old white men, like, you know, yeah. with power and greed. But essentially there is this element of, of trust. And to to talk about, you were talking about when you you want something to be successful and you're inside the game and it's, it's a very like attractive thing that it's difficult to dance with that. I totally vibe that. And I do have this innate desire to like serve the gifts I have to the best I can. But where's the line between just greed or grabbiness or wanting attention or effect? Because that, that stuff does feel good, even though it's like candy. Um, for me, it, it, it's the game is about how much can I trust like the natural unfolding of this and the things that come my way and sort of, oh, 
beautiful, also, and then explore that, like doing this podcast. Oh, great, right. this is fun. Right. I love and as opposed also, to me yeah. trying to pound the doors down because it, it's just a difference in mindset and practice as opposed to like whatever's going to unfold with this is going to unfold. Yeah, I you're really speaking right to my heart because different things come into my path. And there was a time in my life when I really would have weighed things. I'm like, is it cool? Uh, what will everyone think or whatever? And I was talking to Rob Bell and he was just like, mm -hmm. you can pro and con list every decision to death. But at the end of the day, you're just like, can you, can you quiet yourself enough to just be like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm yeah, supposed to do. You never know. Yeah. I, I have no idea. It's, it's also, which is a, a great parable. And it's, it's also just like that story we always tell perhaps, which is, Oh, uh, East Forest, you're going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone. That's great. And you're like, perhaps, like, <laughs> I don't know. Right? But you, you just kind of, well, faith being like letting go that you're in a river, trusting that you're in a river is, is one of the ways. And Richard Rohr defined it. He says, it's not certainty. We've turned faith into certainty, meaning you say, I'm doubting. And someone says, have faith. Usually in my tradition, what they mean by that is, uh, don't forget to like repeat what you believe, what other people told you to believe, and just believe it with certainty. And Richard said that it's actually the, the opposite, that faith is being comfortable and finding equanimity in the unknowing. And that's what faith is, and is going, I don't know, but I'm going to be okay in not knowing because I'm trusting that I'm in a river. And, and clearly, we're not in control. Clearly, right. we are in a river, and we have this illusion that we would like to build up to feel like, do I have any control? I mean, if anything that the pandemic erased, it was that illusion that we, because really before, yeah, we made plans and most of them stuck, but you still really couldn't control that. That's and, right. And now it, it was like impossible to plan anything. Everything just gets shut down. You're like, and now it's like the illusion's gone. Poof. It's what a gift. Seriously. I'm making choices as the world is starting to reopen. I'm making quarantine choices. I'm making choices that are like, dude, I have no idea. Pre-quarantine, I was going around going like, well, we'll do this and that'll be four years and then we'll do that. Oh. That'll be a year. And then I'll go through my weird blue phase and I'll do that. Yeah. I, and now what, what was a real eye opener for me was I've told this story before, but I'll tell it briefly to you was I was using the mantra, thy will be done, which is actually a really scary mantra because you realize you don't. Again, Richard Rohr says the balls, he doesn't say it like that, but he's like the balls of people to pray the Lord's Prayer and say, not my will, but your will. Like when we mean absolutely the opposite, when we've turned prayer into not make me okay with what you're going to do, we've made prayer do what I want you to do. But then we have the balls or the unconsciousness to sort of thoughtlessly say your will be done. So if you really sit with your will be done, it can be really scary because you go, what about, so if it's you, um, I'll try and give you the same experience. It's like, not that you need it, but like, oh, I have, uh, you know, eight, eight full length albums and I'm a musician and I've done it and, and I have security. Well, I'll come in your room with a bow and arrow and point it at you and be like, where's your money? Where's your, where's your security? You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, it's one of the reasons why I think we're fascinated with violence in movies is because it's this great equalizer where you go like, it doesn't matter if you're a king or a beggar, when when life and death is on the line, 
everybody's in the same boat and you and you remember it becomes a metaphor for the unending uncertainty that we all have to surf on and we have to make peace with and the, and the quarantine has really shown us that like i don't know i'm talking to you and that's the best place to be the best advice i could give any podcaster is just talk to your guests like you have nowhere else to be and that's what i'm doing because guess what i don't know what's going on man i don't know what's going on and boom that's when we're in the moment that's the moment that that we want to be in well that goes back to what we were saying about um don't die until you die in in, in essence it's like the pandemic it it pushes that existential idea that is ever present to the forefront and a lack of control around as i talk about a social and economic equalizer well there were people who had it better off no doubt but my point is that you know we all can get the virus is what i'm trying to say right and uh whatever you thought about it uh it just it just pushed to the forefront our health that way, and it. I hope it. There's an invitation there to confront your feelings about this. Like, look, I guess death is is inevitable. I guess death is death <laughs> is inevitable. It's a matter of when. So, uh, how do you want to work with that? And and the pandemic shows you. It's like we spent so much time and often do thinking about the future and the past and planning and a lot of time, and that. It just became difficult to even do that, yeah. you know. And when you did think about the future, it was all these problems, and so you had to stop doing because it it's just like anxietyville, or the repetition of another day inside. It was yeah. it was like you know where you're just going like, I would face dread or a feeling of dread when I'd be doing something. You know, especially with a baby, your life is so regimented. You're like six thirty, it's bath time, and then you're like, and then what? I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to wake up, and then it's the same thing <laughs> yeah. again. And that was this, those uncomfortable moments were always like a little alarm clock going off, going like, you've, you forgot. It's just this. It's just this. It's just this. It's just this. It's like a monk, man. I mean, it's like, yeah, do the same thing probably on purpose for that reason. There's nothing, so there's to, nothing no crutch. There's nothing to look forward to. So there's yeah. nothing to take you out of the moment. But the beautiful thing that nobody ever told me about monks is there's incredible ecstasy in the moment. And I don't mean on drugs. I mean, like, when you really drop the needle on the record, then you hear the music. <laughs> you know what I mean? Instead of yeah. sorting your records and collecting your records or cleaning your records, you can just play the record. <laughs> yeah, deciding which one to play. Yeah, yes. or having grief. I don't listen to my records enough. That's All right. right. <laughs> yeah. I think "Don't Die Until You Die" is is brilliant, especially with comedians who build an identity as the person who's like, I'm going to express my dread or my angst for your delight. Like I'll sort of be the jester that's even more worried than you are. Um, it's it's a heavy burden though. There's something to go like, that's not happening right now. It is. I had a revelation last night. I, my partner is a ketamine therapist and I joined, she does group ketamine therapy and I'm doing a series of like four uh, experiences and we had one last night. And I was thinking about um, comedians are modern shamans. To, and I had this idea that like, <laughs> because they're by weaving laughter and creating like, they're kind of dancing with the cosmic joke and like bring it to the forefront and trying to constantly remind us like, yo, like, at the end of the day, yes, it's serious, but it's also a big joke. It's like it's right. a theater, and that role that the comedian is playing these days is like incredibly important and and valuable. And it's sort of like 
it's a way of like snapping us out of things. Oh, you know? I love that. That's, I mean, obviously it's self-serving to me, but I know what you mean because it's when someone gets me laughing about something. It like breaks death. a gear. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I can't make this bit work, but when I was doing stand up, I was always like, you're afraid to die. My Nana died. I thought that was so funny. <laughs> That's she a good one. A frail old a woman. One. She did it. Yeah. She did it. You can't do what my Nana did. But like, I need to work on it because I think if I can get to that level where everyone laughs at it, not just people that like talking and thinking about death laugh at it. Dude, that would be gold if you could figure that one out. I feel yeah. Because it not only is it funny, but you'd be, there's a teaching in there about like the thing itself by laughing at it. If you That's can right. somehow figure out how to make that work. Yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to keep working on it. I, I'm a, I'll make a note. Afraid to die is called the, the bit. Nana died. Nana died bit. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote afraid to die Nana. We're working it out now. Well, you, you said so many things and you were like, long story short. And I'm like, no way. Tell me, you said you had a, a music experience on mushrooms when yeah. you were a young man that really changed your life. I, I, I don't want to burden you with recreating it, but I couldn't be more interested. Where were you? How old were you? And what happened? I was 20, late 20s, New York City, living underneath the Manhattan Bridge in what is now called Dumbo. But at the time, down under the Manhattan Bridge, that was just a name developers gave it to make it expensive. I think it's yeah. the most expensive um, zip code now in the whole, all of New York. But at the time, it was just warehouses, a couple stores. There was one bodega, one restaurant, and lots of artists. And it was a cool place to be. And that's where I was. So the train was passing over. It's what I wanted to say every about two or three minutes. And it would rumble the building a little bit. And the building was an old toy factory. And I... <laughs> This is already a great story. Like, I- <laughs> Dumbo, before it's cool, there's a, a train factory. that shakes the building and it was an old toy factory. Yes, the stage and, is set. Yes, <laughs> I'm picturing you in a room that still has like ventriloquist dummies in it and a colorful rainbow on the wall. And you're like, I just can't bring you know? myself to yeah. paint. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I was in my, I basically spent my 20s in New York, like a lot of folks, trying playing the fame game and trying to get money famous, just make it. And yeah. I was an actor and I was a musician and my day job was a photographer. I had a pretty sweet little life going on. But thing, there was always this yearning since I was a little kid. Even in third grade, I had my first real breakdown where I was just like, I don't understand what we're all doing. This whole system and dance we're in. And really? I, yeah, what it was, was hard. I mean, well, it's just, it was just that. I realized I had to go to fourth grade and then fifth grade and then sixth grade and then get a job. I was like, what the fuck is this? Why? There's no yeah. point to this. Like, there's yeah. got to be more. There's uh, a meme of that. It's like everybody – it's it's a very trippy meme where it's like everybody's on this conveyor belt and it's like school, marriage, work, death. Yeah. yeah. And then there's one person that jumps off the conveyor belt and it's very like Philip K. Dick dystopia. But there's a spotlight on them and the cops are coming because somebody yeah. like – jumped off how dare you yeah yeah, i mean even though i'm a guy who went to school and i a guy who got married and a guy who is now working and a guy who will die um there is a great feeling of being like yeah you gotta at least realize you're on it and do it your own way or get off it so yeah 
Yeah, that kind of sums up my whole life. But basically, <laughs> I tried real, real hard to like, it's like, well, if you can't fight him, join him. And it's like, so how do I succeed in, the, in this system? And so I was a very hard worker to try to succeed inside it. But it was very hard for me and lots of bouts of depression. And uh, I, like I said, I had had a couple seminal experiences with mushrooms and that were very important to me and I did not understand them, but it felt realer than real. I felt like, oh, that now, like my, my whole consciousness got like the distance of my arms wide as opposed to it just being like right in front of my face. The horse blinders I, came off. I, yeah. And I, it's sort of, you had that experience. I went to the moon and I remember I went, I, I don't know what to do with it, but oh my God, that, that's, that, that those dimensions are, that exists. Um, so I, I just had this yearning to get back there. And so I, uh, everything was falling apart and it was a lot like COVID. It was 2008 financial collapse thing, uh, Occupy Wall Street, all that kind of stuff. And so my, my job as a photographer was very much tied to the economy. And so there wasn't as much money and I was just trying to question things and the band I was really pushing this, this piano pop thing. It just was not, it was never really happening. And my drummer was a drunk and, it just, everything was just failing. I should say dying. And in that collapse, doors were opening and I decided to make music just for me. I had no agenda with it. And I just was doing it for fun and really enjoying it. And it was non-commercial. It was not tied to any genre. It was mostly instrumental. But the, the main North Star of it was I was literally just chasing a memory of a feeling in those journeys. Like, when I would play certain chords as looking like, oh, oh, there's that feeling. Okay, mm. loop that. Uh, nope, not that. No, I don't want it to be that. Oh, there it is. And it's kind of this heart infinite feeling, mm -hmm. which I suppose is quite imbued in a lot of my music now. But at the time, I was, that was what I wanted to feel. Mm. And I had the headphones like on. Rainbow flypaper or something. There's something like sticky. Wow. Rainbow flypaper. paper. Yeah. That's what a great band name. Yeah. <laughs> I had a long list of those. That's a good I'm one. I'm trying to remember like what it feels like there because it is ineffable, but there's something sticky and colorful about it and rich and hearty. Uh, iridescent, sort of rainbowy. Yeah. It, it, I mean, we'll call it a million things. Uh, the lover, the one, the source, God, the universe, etc. So I, I made this just on the side and during this year I was also really discovering other things like ayahuasca for the first time and other ceremonies and I was also getting super turned on by nature again I grew up in Oregon but I was kind of rekindling my childhood fascination with backpacking so I bought the gear again and we'd go up to the Adirondacks and I was like oh my god there's wilderness it finally I finally understand why people want to be in wilderness and I just couldn't get enough of it and I started taking a little field recorder and, and recording the sounds of like the crickets at dawn on a lake or the leaves through a uh, fall leaves through a trees and the Catskills. And well, you must've had, that's an experience that you'd had as a photographer because the attention that you're paying to reality as a photographer and the attention you're paying, that was one of my questions for you. Um, the 10 laws song opens with these uh, peepers, yeah. I would call them, but the sound of crickets. Yes. Uh, and it's like, um, so Jesus would say, wait for God, like a man keeping an eye out for a burglar. So it's like God is a, as a thief. So it's like, but when you're that, that goes back to me pointing an arrow at you. 
It's like that high-pitched attention paying is a guy in the woods going, are you hearing this? In fact, that is my experience on, I was on LSD once, a very small dose, but I was on the beach in Maui and it was orange. Everything was orange. It wasn't because I was tripping. Everything was orange. And I went to my friend who was also on it. I said, are they seeing this? And that's you with the recorder going, are you here? Even though you're sober, you're learning to pay attention to reality as if reality is a a thief breaking into your house. Like high pitch. I wanted others to feel what I was feeling in those places that took a lot of effort to like hike in and so forth. And, and my friends in New York thought I was going to another planet or like, why you're going, where are you going? You're backpacking from New York city. And, <laughs> but it, it did, it worked. It, it, the sounds retained the feeling. And I, I just, I thought, and then, so 10 laws actually was the first song I did. And, I remember uh, doing the Fender Rhodes thing. I was like, oh, that, there's the feeling. And then the piano thing, there's the feeling. And then the kick drum, which is sort of like a heartbeat. And then I, I remember, I was like, well, I've been doing these field recordings. And I just visited my friend Court. I just met him in Santa Barbara through a friend. And he's like this mystic in the hills of Santa Barbara. And he just does these readings on you. And he has many, many lists and ideas. And I recorded it. And one of the lists was those 10 laws. And I just decided to, try playing around with dropping it in and those those are frogs from his frogs a creek by his house and he he records the frogs himself on a tape recorder and plays it on a loop to call the more frogs so they're all around (laughs) it was like that was his house and i just dropped it in and that became the first song and it sort of showed me like this sort of elements of the field recording layers and the instrumental music and the spoken word and I recorded songs from like or um, sounds from New York City too, and just this dichotomy of those. Um, I, I just so I just I put together an album without really n- having a plan with it, or it took a year. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the year, I I knew I had been inspired by mushrooms, so I thought, well, let's honor that inspiration by having a little ceremony and listening to the record. And so I I took a few grams, I went on a little walk, I felt it coming on, I went back to my bedroom. I put the headphones on, lay down on the bed and I hit play and my life changed. I mean, it was like, because mushrooms turned off that discursive part of my brain where I could now no longer even remember how I made this record that I'd so labored over. Now it's like, I'm just experiencing it. And so it's a different witness now to the experience. And I was hearing not only was the music this connected journey and weaving, but all the field recordings were everywhere I had been in the last year. I was hearing my last year. My oh. mother was in there, the places I had hiked, the place I lived, my apartment. It was just this incredible synchronistic journey. And, and there were all these synchronicities happening. And at the end, uh, I had a field recording of these little girls that were in a labyrinth and on Block Island. And it, it was just two sisters. One was five and one was three. And everything this five-year-old said, this three-year-old would repeat in a little kid voice. And they got to the center of the labyrinth. And I remember her saying, we got there. We're there. And the little one's like, we got there. We're there. And in my journey, it was like, you know, arriving at the pinnacle of like, as a soul, like, I, I, like I'm here where I've got, I got to the place I've always been. And, and I, I, I stood up. And I put the headphones down. I stood up. I swear to God, just like in the Matrix, the whole room was like flexing. And I said, 
I said something like, whoa, and it echoed, whoa, whoa, whoa. And it just, it felt, Pete, like my soul had tricked my ego into making this musical tool to use in that moment to transcend into like a new level of my life and being. And like, that was absolutely the moment East Forest was born. And I didn't know what it was or what was going to happen. I was like, there was before and there was after. Oh my God, a rebirth. Total rebirth. And I, and after that, I just was like, I was like, I'm fuck acting. This is a waste of time. Music is the thing, but I want it to be a gift. So I just gave the record away for free on MySpace and, and my friend kicked me into ceremonies and we started doing ceremonies for five or six years. It was just like an underground thing. And then the yoga industry picked it up, sort of like people started using the music in yoga. And then they started hiring me to play festivals and that started building an audience. And then here we are talking, you know, Whoa. 12 years later. You're, it's, it's, you could even say the mushroom tricked you into making the record. Like- a thousand percent. It, it met like my you. teacher yeah, yeah. brought me in and said, you know, we have some ideas for you and some thoughts and some plans. And so when the Ram Dass thing came around, you know, that was 2017 or 18. And I went to Raghu and I said, I have this idea of recording Ram Dass. And all the recordings I use, I record. I don't pull any frogs from the internet. It's like kind of what comes to me. Like what colors do I have to paint with is what comes across my life path. Mm-hmm. And I said, I need to go record Ram Dass. And he's like, look, there's 15,000 hours you could pull from why do you need to record him and i said just it's just it's about what he chooses to say and what you know what i'm given and and i also think i want him to speak now in his older age but that was a tough ask and and one of the ways i could argue that i i was qualified to do it in any form is like well you know the very first song i had done was with spoken word from recording an older guy and i could point to that and say look i i have done this and i feel like i am well suited and have a fluency of being used to like recording people and weaving that into music. And that's, that's, I know that, how to do that. And thank God Raghu said yes. Mm. Wow. Cause when I listen to the Ram Dass record, which is awesome. Um, he, you have that one track where he talks about when you have an ugly thought, which I think anyone can relate to and loving the ugly thought. Dark Ram, thought. Yeah. Ugly, he calls dark it dark thought. thought. Yeah. Beautiful. And I listen to that and I'm like, what? I mean, from a guy who does have terabytes of lectures, (laughs) the fact that that's one of the things that he said. But as I'm listening to it, I'm like, did you play him the music and then say no? Well, it didn't exist. Yeah. So I didn't know what we'd get. I I told Raghu because there was some, you know, doubt about whether I needed to go. I said, Raghu, at the end of the day, I'm essentially taking his legacy and his work and putting it to music. I just think soul to soul. I need to just look him in the eyes once I hadn't met him and just be like, this is happening. We might not record anything, but I just need to like have that moment. Yeah. And I didn't know if, if Ramdas would be up for anything or having a bad day health wise. And so it was all a rolling of the dice. I also didn't know how it would work. Right. I hadn't hung with him ever. So when I got there, I was very nervous and I, we set it all up and the door shut you know, and I hit record on the thing, I felt like I was in the spiritual White House. And I was like, oh my God, this is a lot more special than I think I had anticipated. Mm-hmm. And Ramdas just looks at me and we start eye gazing and like my heart's exploding. And I'm suddenly realizing this is not going to be us just chit chatting. Like mm-hmm. I need to ask a question and he's going to then process that and respond. And once I did that, um, the questions like the dark thoughts, you know, hey, you know, we're going through this 
this epidemic of depression and anxiety and suicide and addiction. Like, what do you have to say? What do we do? And he'd just take some time, work his beads. And then what you hear in that song is exactly what he said. I just spaced out the phrases and so forth mm-hmm. and, you know, brought his pauses together. But he is a fucking master. I mean, what he said from start to finish is like a one minute perfect, a little comedy, a little poetry, some imagery, these micro teachings that were beautiful. He blew my mind. It was just, he became unlocked in the music because his pauses didn't matter anymore. And he was a complete master of these teachings. Right. Wow. Yeah, because the pauses in his later years would be something that people would struggle with. So music going like, it's it like became an saying, asset. Yeah, it became an asset because now I could move the phrases into the rhythm of the music and the music made it so you don't hear any of that stuff. You just hear the message and the voice. Right. And it's like the music, we're saying these dimensions and this reality, this, this greater reality always exists. I'm moving my hand through it right now. And then music can be like a representation of even in the gaps. It's not like the wisdom has stopped. You know what I'm saying? Right. It's, it's connective tissue in a way. Right. But but that we can understand, that we can perceive. Because silence is really... I remember Ramdas saying in a, a lecture, he goes, you know, maybe later when we meet, we could just sit in silence and he goes, but we're not there yet. <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, like beautiful. we're not ready to see the squatch, you know, uh, <laughs> because that's a guy that's like, it's just, we're just pointing at it, but it's here, but it's here. It's the sticky fly, the rainbow flypaper is here, but it's, it's such grace that we have these things that can help us, whether they be plants or music. You, you already said this, but like, or rainbows. Yeah, like it's everywhere, you know. Sometimes I think we'll get to the end of this and maybe you and I, however that will manifest, will exist in some other place and we'll just go like, we were swimming in obviousness. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you look at like, there's a, again, I'm reading the Dalai Ching, but there's that verse where they're like, the four powers, there's humanity, there's the earth, there's the universe, and then there's the Tao. And the Tao is the word for the mystery. And they go, humanity follows the earth. The earth follows the universe. The universe follows the Tao. The Tao follows nothing but itself. And you're just like, mm, wow. What? Right. Wait, we've had that for thousands of years. Somebody said that to us. And we're like, oh, okay. And then unfortunately, it gets to the point where it sounds like a fortune cookie. But like when you can get quiet enough to hear it, you see the lawfulness that man or humanity acts in the same lawful way that the earth uh, on its, you know, it has its different axes. It's spinning. It's doing like a hourglass shape on its axis. There's like the, the two circles above the earth. And then there's the way it's going around the sun. Then there's the way that the, the solar system is moving around the galaxy. And then, but then there's another thing past that. But the fact that there's anything, Val and I talk about this all the time, that isn't it a trip that like a rainy day feels like loneliness? And you're like, so we're seeing out there something that's in here. And I'm not saying rain is lonely. I'm just saying it's it's this, or that the ocean exists, that you look at the ocean mm-hmm. and you're like, 
this feels like my mom. I don't know why. I don't mean Irina Holmes. I mean, it feels like the mother. It's infinite. It's undulating. It's at the same time deeply caring, but also unattached. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's housing all this life and it's also bringing all this death. It's also housing death. So it's impartial, but it's beautiful, but it's scary and it's vast, but it's personal. I can pick up a handful of it and that's the whole thing. That's, that's all of it in my hand. And yet I can look at all of it and go, I could never know you. And it's in me, I'm made of water and it's water. And when I get in it, literally chemically, I, I become grounded. I become calmer. I sync up with it. So the mystery is something we can sync up with. I mean, that is the whole fucking thing. Or a tree is the whole fucking thing. Or a rock is the whole fucking thing. Or your daughter or your dog or your partner or a, a ketamine session with your partner. I mean, it's like... Yeah. Sometimes I go, Jesus, I don't mean Jesus, the, the deity. I'm just like, Jesus, like I'm swearing. How could we be expected to make sense of all of this suffering, all of this pain and all of this despair? And I feel that. And sometimes I feel that way. And I go, this is nothing. And then there are other times when we get into this frequency where I go, wait a minute. Look at the grace of not just a logical understanding. I don't mean you need to be able to articulate or write or, or express these things, but like, as I said earlier, a Joe Schmo, which doesn't exist, looking at the ocean has the same potential in his heart to get that message as Ramdas, a genius, a spiritual genius. It doesn't matter. It's a, it's it's so bioavailable. The grace is almost overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It's honorable to be in the difficulty of incarnation, we must think. And we're all singing one another awake because... What else is there to do but to hold the hand or say like, yes, this is happening. I see you. And perhaps the challenging aspect of this is like you're, what you're really saying is there's law. Like we're in this operating system of, of there's law. There's cause and effect. And there's this massive, you know, the ocean does what it does based, but it also simultaneously have, has this giving energy, the mother energy. Uh, the source energy. And amidst all that, you know, it's like you could look at that uh, analogy, like as human beings, all is in this perfect form, yet our choices matter. We have destiny and we have choice. And like our actions and choices in the world, they matter, right? Like spiritual bypass, the obvious direction of that would be we can just sit here and say that, that in essence, everything is inside this container of perfection, yet there are injustices and what do we, what do we want to do about it and what actions do we want to take? And there isn't an easy answer to that. But if anything, like that the wellness community and the spiritual community is going through these days is sharpening that blade of saying, how do we talk about and get into these sticky situations where uh, maybe things are a little out of balance and it's not an easy way to say, how do we hold the, like the mystery itself saying it's perfect and it's out of balance at the same time. Right. That's and that can be offensive to say. And I understand that, but it's also there's truth to it. And and so it's sort of saying like you need to take action in the world, um, but also uh, <laughs> we're all inside this sphere of – we're never going to escape that sphere of action anyway. It just is. Well, it's, it's something Jesus says. He says the poor will always be with you or, or the, the, the needy will always be with you, which is interesting because, you know, you could hear that and go like, I think that's a way of being like, this is perfect. Meaning 
if you have this, you'll always have that. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't strive to utopia, the human rational understanding of utopia. There's a, there's a verse in the, again, the Tao Te Ching, where they say, you want to improve the world? I don't think it can be done. Uh, and he's saying, like, it's, it's already perfect. But the paradox there is Ramdas protesting the bomb in the 70s or, uh-huh. yeah. or people protesting the pipelines and all the different things that are that we will and should be doing. That is also part of the perfection. Resisting the imperfection is part of the perfection. Now you start getting into that paradox where you go like, I don't understand it's perfect, but I'm raging against the machine. Yes, your instinct to help and rage against the machine is bringing about the balance. Like if you just go, oh, it's all perfect and let it all go to shit. Apathy, uh, yeah. You'd be denying your own drive to help and to and to um, change. Your, your desire to change the perfection and your actions that do change the outcomes of reality or in, impact the outcomes of reality is part of the perfection. Change happens from the inside out, from the individual, from the heart outward. But from there, it continues to expand into your community, to the world. It doesn't stop with like, well, I'm starting to really work on myself and now this feels better and I'm good. It's like, yes, but now it becomes typically about service and gifts and love. Right. It has to – you have to let that reverberation you know, expand out there through your actions and choices. And if you ever feel really small, it's really nice to remember like Ram Dass's mother who, who is sort of like an over – the, like an overlovey sort of eat your soup sort of kind of um, I don't know how he would describe her but like she was a lot apparently she was part of something much larger so you could make it as small as a smile at somebody on the subway that changes the fabric of reality we love stories like that like yeah. a tiny thing but it, the butterfly effect but it's completely true like this podcast is is maybe an obvious example because a lot of people will hear it. But like you and I having our hearts opened by the podcast, leading to me making more chit-chat at the coffee shop later today because I'm feeling the oneness and I'm feeling love, uh, impacts that person and then they're nicer. And it's not just about niceness. They're, o- they're more open. And then the next person who comes in to the coffee shop is going through a rainy time and that openness is perceived and, and we're all leading. It's, it's like uh, Alan Watts. I was watching this great after school. After school is a great channel on YouTube where they animate on a whiteboard different mystic teachings. It's really cool. And he's like, we think of the moment as like ticks on a clock, like tick, 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 <laughs> tick, tick. And he goes, we give the moment on a watch face the smallest increment of time of space that the human eye could still perceive. Cause that's what we think of it. It's just tick, tick, tick. He's like, it's not tick, tick, tick. And then he hits a gong or a singing bowl and he goes, this is the, this is the moment. And it's going. And Val and I were watching it together. And I was like, this is really doing it for me. That, that everything is in like the ocean. It's an undulating gooey, gelatinous living rainbow like blobby blah, 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 and it's it's infinite like don't reduce it to tick 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 oh there's always another moment tick tick there's always another second tick tick the moment is f- fucking holding your molecules in the form of of Trevor and mine and me and the room is us and we're both in it together 
and it's it's so much sexier and more colorful and more alive and that's what these these plants have helped me realize that it's not just tick 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 those aren't moments the moment is is beyond time the moment isn't a concept of time the present isn't the concept of time and at the same time pun intended like <laughs> it's broken into ones and zeros in a way not just in computers but like we breathe in we breathe out we sleep we wake like oh, we're right. in it's like that's the the boundary condition and that is and it's in some ways like the clock face ticking in the seconds sums up the game that we find ourselves in like we're inside uh, a place of of duality right mm-hmm. uh, tick and not tick yet we're able to uh, sense and experience non-duality mm. and well boom that's the mystery mm-hmm. like oh we're able to do both what a trip Thank you for that reminder. You know, I was listening to the podcast Shit Town, which was really good, and they were taught he he was a clock collector, and there was this really kind of poetic portion of it where they were talking about sawing or grinding, where the, where you get into the rhythm of like, and it's like I wonder if that's how early people started to come up with the thought of a clock of like a or your heartbeat, uh, you know, contra- expanding, yeah. contracting, expanding, contracting. I have a bit. It's one of my favorite bits about what is sleep. It's this, no matter you could eat as much energy as you could possibly need. You could even not do that much during the day. You could just kind of sit around and at night you'll still want to sleep. That's another one of those behind the curtain trips where we'll be like, that was baked into us. Every night you get a rehearsal every night for death and rebirth. There's a, there, it wasn't me. There's a mystic, poet that said that he was like every night i die every morning i'm resurrected so even that is this clue of like energy doesn't go anywhere you disappear when you sleep your ego is gone and if you're uh vigilant you'll notice in the morning you're not even trevor yet you're and i'm not even pete yet it doesn't exist and then your brain starts kind of like soft serve ice cream just oozing into your brain (laughs) don't forget you have that today and and before you know it you're pete but we all know the trippy, where did I go, dying before you die thing because of sleep. It's given to every single person. You know what it's like when you wake up. And forget about dreams. All of these yeah. dreams that seem so real to you just vanish. And you're, yeah. not, you're not sad about it. I kind of feel like that's how we'll feel after our lives. It was this incredible dream. I was this guy. I was doing this. I, was talking, I interviewed East Forest, blah, blah, blah. And then when I wake, it just kind of sizzles away and there's another experience. There's another moment. There's another whatever. Dreams within dreams. No, no doubt. It's, I, I, it trips me out just to think that most of my life, I don't remember. I don't remember what I had for lunch three days ago, you know, right. like, and it's like, maybe that's there if you hypnotize me, but for all intents and purpose, it's not. Right. I, I won't remember most of this. You know, so why you, why now, are we taking it so seriously? Why I don't are we know. taking it so, I, Oh, I think I offended Trevor. You know what I mean? Like, what are you on about? It was a dream. It was nothing. It was gone. It's gone already. Oh, and all of it, you in you know, on one level, all of it will be forgotten by yourself. And yeah. certainly by death. And then all of this, everything we create, no matter how even Donald Trump will be forgotten, you know, yes. as time progresses on. And the whole yes. earth will be forgotten. And as far as others remembering it, it, it just, it's all just kind of a composting that never ends. 
Right. Because the point of it is being itself and a compost leads to more being. So there was a very anxious T-Rex. You know what I mean? Like there were dinosaurs that were just like balls of anxiety going around constantly nervous. Don't you guys know? Yeah. And it's like, that's how absurd. But that's the lightness. I could see what we're saying could be frightening. Or you're going like, oh, it doesn't matter. Ah." Or you just go like, then surf, then surf, glide, play, dance. Don't die until you die. Don't. And, and by the way, we keep saying that as if like, hey, I'm not dying now, as if death is such a horrible thing. Ramdas said, he's like, death is just another moment. He's like, there's all the dread and the, and the fear, but he, he didn't even have a fear of the moment of death because he was trusting that he was in a river and just as going to bed at night isn't a flaw, neither is his body eventually dying. I was going to say failing, but to use your language, yeah. it's dying. It's, it's making way for change. It's yielding. It's the great yield. And that's like taking psychedelics. It's going, I'm not in control. I have it on a post-it. I go, we all have to trust the mystery when we die. So we should practice now. Like you don't want to do it, but guess what? You're going to have to do it in a very extreme, to your mind, a very extreme way. When you die, you're going to have to jump off the dock on a starless night into the dark water. Uh, and you can do that with trust, but we can practice just like when we go to sleep, we're practicing death. You can practice trusting and owning the uncertainty and saying, I have no complaints. Thank you for everything. <laughs> like I'm that taking is... off an old shoe. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, death is taking off an, uh, a tight shoe, I believe. A tight shoe. Oh, I fucked it up. The, uh, that's one of the songs on the record. And I think I called it an old shoe, but so be it. <laughs> Yeah, I might be wrong. It's an important thing, I think, to practice. And, you you know, it's not something that is hard in a sense. Like you can practice it in essence by just dropping into the present moment by in your next inhalation. It's sort of like it's just about loosening the grip in a way in, in those micro moments and recentering or re-remembering, which is not complicated. It's, it's You do it. You do it all the time. You're just not sort of giving it the credence or give, or stepping through the doorway with two feet, yeah. which is available to all of us. And look, it's not to say that like I know what that means or I know what happens with death. I, I have no idea. I really don't. I know in my heart, like with a capital K, but I know nothing with a little K. My mind can – we could sit here and philosophize about it forever, but it really – Nobody knows. Well, that's and, the pr- you could pro con it. You could be like, well, it's probably bad, yeah. or it might be good. But I that's can make a list. The <laughs> yeah. It's the letting go. It's the not. It's the transrational. It's beyond the concept of irrational, irrational. It's transrational. Yeah, it's trans. It's super trendy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're 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 learning in a lot of different realms to deal with a, a level of subtlety, whether it's gender or rationality or whatever, to go like. Oh, uh, third thing, or both and, or neither. Non-dual. Or yeah, non-dual. it's You see it in our politics. You see it in um, LGBTQ plus stuff. It's all one thing going, wait, nothing is as cookie cutter as you think it is. I think this is a rainbow flypaper. <laughs> <laughs> well, there does seem to be a deepening of the richness of the opportunities, and the pandemic has pressed you know the gas pedal down even further 
where more and more doorways are open that are unique to each of us to to kind of deepen that experience of the not the not knowing and the not planning and sort of the crossing of boundaries and the building of bridges and I very much feel like we're in the early stages of that but I also think it will most likely continue and deepen and it goes hand in hand with the breakdown the dying and the chaos so unfortunately I I share everyone's enthusiasm for maybe hoping we're on some kind of tail end of the pandemic, but I feel like that's just part of a chapter of many more chapters yet to come mm. that are going to be quite intense and a further breakdown of, of all these systems that we thought we could stand on of this is called dualistic meaning. And the more we can practice like standing on the pillars that are always there, they're not these outside pillars like that internal truth and stillness and, and knowing Mm. And then knowing what actually or where we come from and our choices, it's going to serve us really well. You know, there's a, there's a fertile ground. That's right. It's I, I, when you were saying that I pictured like a, a series of pipes, like plumbing, and it's like, yeah, we've had a lot of aggressive flushing happening, it's putting <laughs> a lot of strain on this system that we've constructed, whether it's capitalism or heteronormativity or whatever it might be, there's there's the, a story being told that isn't actually the full story and it keeps getting stressed and stressed and stressed and stressed. And that's sort of the point, sort of like your own body, it starts to deteriorate and that's when people tend to um, go, go inward. Ram Dass has this great lecture where he's older and he goes, if I thought this was my hand. He looks at his hand and it's like paper and it's got veins and aging spots. And he goes, I would freak. (laughs) And that's sort of the point. They push, we, society gets pushed to a point where you don't believe in it. This is again, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's like, blessed are the people who have been disillusioned by the system because it helps them extricate themselves from that system because they're not as attached to it. Similarly, right. he says it's as hard to get into the kingdom of heaven as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Well, if you're a rich person, the system is working for you. Um, and therefore, you're a little bit more wooed by it. And you start to worship it and believe in it. And you start to forget those inner pillars. So that's why he's saying the downtrodden, the brokenhearted, these are the people that go, fuck this shit. He doesn't really say people with, with broken bodies, but the more your body yeah. gets broken, the less you worship the body, the less you worship youth and Instagram likes and money because you see the, the tip of the arrow being pointed at you and you go, that person, the hottest influencer on Instagram with their private jet photos, they also have the same arrow pointed at them. Yeah, They're, they're just really clouding it to the point where it's actually clouding other people. And we're going, well, if I could do that, I'd be on a private jet. And it's like, guys, that's not it. <laughs> totally, man. Blessed are the meek. Yeah, I, I had a, a makeup artist who who worked with a lot of famous, um, you know, Kate Moss and stuff. And he says, you know, when I'm doing makeup on them, the one thing I remember is that everybody takes a shit. And I picture them taking a shit. And I'm like, they take a shit every day if they're lucky. And I'm like, there you go. Kate Moss takes a shit. And then it just sort of takes everybody down a notch. Well, uh, isn't that – that's comedy. True. That's yeah. what Robin Williams said. He's like, we're geniuses, we're brilliant philosophers, and we have diarrhea. <laughs> and and I, I had a bit like that too. Where I was go, everybody sleeps. I was like, the scariest guy 
at this night. Curious guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. And he needs it. And he and he turns it over to the cool side and goes, I need this. <laughs> and that that is brilliant. Everybody shits, everybody vomits. The darker version is they'll decay, they'll atrophy, and they'll get arthritis and they'll start to hunch over. And talk about vulnerable or humble your breathing apparatus will stop. So like mm-hmm. you could see Kim Kardashian selling, uh, you know, an ultraviolet teeth whitener and it's not to disparage them, but it's like, this isn't, this isn't a goddess. You know what I mean? It's, it's not, it's not the source of being it's, it's the creation of the being. So to always, and, and I don't want to judge her based on her external. Maybe she has an understanding of that, but it's like, we need, I need to, Remember that it's not the forms, although it is the forms. That's the paradox too. It is the forms as well, but it, the formless is is the juice. It's really though insidious these days when things like Instagram and so forth. It literally is just form, and not only that, it's form through a filter. It's it's like life yeah. idealized in all these ways. That's all it is. And what a what a minefield, you know for the self to like interact in that way. And it's, it's, we've built this, you know, we keep building more of them, you know, different forms of uh, filters of reality, what we call social media. Uh, and it is a form of connection, but we, we do it in a way that it's a kind of poison or there's toxicity to it. You can have, you can, you know, it won't kill you in small amounts, but it very quickly can make you sick. Oh, sure. And you know, I find the days that I'm on social media more, I'm coping. Like it's a coping strategy uh, for stress or isolation. And that makes it even more sticky, even more dangerous. Yeah, yeah. If, if you are just uh, with your family all day and you want to remember that people know you as something else, you go to this alternate reality. I, it's, it's funny. I don't think I tweeted this, but I was like, these days to be a Buddha, all you have to do is not have a phone. <laughs> Like, <laughs> totally. But like to take that a hundred years in the future, maybe 50 years in the future, we might all be in VR and the monks will be the ones that are not logging on to the better reality. And that's kind of what it is. That's what it is now. It's like, why would you log off the uh, crab cake appetizers and the candlelit dinners and the IMAX screen and the, and the Coachella or whatever it might be the fun thing? Why would you just go and sit in a, a temple? Those are the people that are logging off of the fake reality that may be made of reality that's three-dimensional yeah. and, and visceral, but it's just as virtual as any virtual reality, or it could be, unless you really... And then I'll say out the other side of my mouth, you can do any of those things as Buddha and really go like, this is a really weird dream I'm having. Yeah. I just shared a wonton with uh, Kim Kardashian and uh, and a praying mantis. Yeah. Yeah. And a praying mantis just performed. (laughs) I will survive uh, on karaoke. Uh, This is a trip. And this too, I've, I've talked to people, uh, Alex Gray, when he did this podcast, he did ayahuasca and he experienced bliss. And then the next day, I believe it was like, he went to the worst parts of the Holocaust. And he said, it was like God or the mystery saying, find me here. Yeah. So is there divinity in Instagram? I don't want to encourage people to spend more time there, but there's divinity in everything. Uh, Alan Watts would say that a skyscraper is as natural as an anthill. You know what I mean? We want to separate separate the the sacred and the profane. 
And then the mystic not only sees Joe Schmo and Albert Einstein as equal, but he sees you or I going to like an anime convention, uh, <laughs> the same as sitting by a creek. Meaning if human beings are of this world, our productions are as natural as a sunset. I can say that. And then at the other side of my mouth, you and I both know you're experiencing backpacking and watching unfiltered, unadulterated uh, nature. Raw, raw nature. nature. It, well, there's a balance. There's and a I balance. think it's sort of like recognizing that if you go down the octaves, you know, we uh, if you go start at the, at the base level like rocks – uh, the physical form, we have physical form. You go to plants, they need the sun, they need the water, just like us. We need water, we need the sun. It's a remembrance of that. You go up to animals like a dog, they need their structure and their walks and the love and the food. We actually need that too. We forget, right? <laughs> and and you, you keep jumping up in octaves, you drop the remembrance that you're those things too. We get into ours and now we have creativity, a sense of humor and the ability to have like agape, uh, brotherly love and so forth. And like that's now this octave and there's probably – we can keep going that we tap into different states. And you need Whoa. to service those lower uh, octaves, shall we say – because it's part of who you are. And that's why if you're only now in those digital realms, like we, we've, we lost our touch with the basics of just sunlight mm. and, and the natural world as a reflection of what we are, nature, walking, talking. We are the same thing. Uh, we are those constituent parts too. We are nature with eyes and ears and ideas and jokes and feelings. Wow. So we, that, that the feeling of separateness is the thing that often causes the pain. And so anything we can do to feel less separate from others in the world and the greater, you know, sense of an isolated being, that's the juju, you know, and, and there's many roads that lead to Rome. Wow. Wow. That's the clip we're going to animate. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you did that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's what I put on my Instagram is little animations from the podcast. Um, Good for animals. you. That's well, awesome. I, I don't do them. Katie Fischel does them. They're awesome. They're really, really great. That is so good. I, I Somebody I just heard somewhere, like, it reminded me of this. Like, we used to, when we had the aqueducts, when the aqueducts were the height of technology, we thought the human body was a series of rushing fluids. Like, everything was a fluid oh, yeah. going to the brain or going down. Blood, Bloodletting, yeah. <laughs> Bloodletting, for sure. And then when we had electricity everything became electrical. And then we were like, oh, it's all, uh, it's like sending a, a spark down a wire. And we had that. And then now they say about the brain, the brain is a computer because a computer is the most sophisticated thing that we have. But really, it's just as the outer world gets more known, the inner world gets more known. It, it just reminded me of what you're saying. It's like, we can look behind us to know ourselves but then we have to have the humility to know that the our, the end of the line, which is us going, oh, we have compassion and we have sense of humor, doesn't mean that's the end of it. Look at look at creation. Right. We're, we're in a line. And just as there's behind us, that begs the point that there's ahead of us. And then when and then when you have certain mystical experiences, that's what you're tapping into and you're like, there are other levels. There's a great Tom Petty lyric about psychedelics uh, where he says, I'm pretty sure it's about psychedelics, where he goes, your brain is so full, but you can't take it all. And I was like, yeah, that's the feeling. That's why I kept saying it's ineffable. You wish you could put it in Santa's big magical bag and bring it back. 
And that's what makes the teachers like Ramdas and like Christ and like Buddha and like Muhammad, these people that were able to, as we always say, explain the internet to a dog, they could kind of go like, well, it's a little bit like being dead and then coming back. <laughs> yeah. I, I flipped that around once and I was thinking like, let's say there's this spaceship comes down, these aliens pick up a dog and they take him to this other universe. And there the dog learns the laws and the secrets of the universe. And they somehow they, they communicate it all. The dog fully gets it, right? They bring the dog back and he comes off and he goes back to uh, the other dogs or even humans. And they're like, what did you learn? You're the emissary who went to the other universe. And, you, and he says, woof. You know, it's like, all they can say is woof. It's like, and that is the message. It's all there. But we're just like, what the fuck? We gave, we gave you the keys. We let you yeah, go. And like, you have nothing to say. Yeah. Uh, but in the, the sacredness of the woof, it's like, it, it, maybe it is just a sound, you know, maybe it is uh, something ineffable like that. Cause it, the That's summation cool. of it is always a metaphor. Like it's always going to be uh, something representing something greater. Right. And that is like a koan, meaning the answer is woof. Because when I say woof, how are you hearing that? And what is hearing it? it it's another Byron Katie. Byron Katie says, when you're in your right mind, meaning when you're clear and open, you realize that every sound is the Buddha. Every sound is God. Like, yeah. so... That's something I try to do when a garbage truck is going down my street. And normally you would interpret the story. Oh, I want to live on a quiet street, this smelly, stinky truck. But then you go, the smell is God. The the noise is God. My annoyance is God. Because being, capital B, being, is what's perceiving all of that stimuli. And that is the answer. The mm-hmm. answer is, so if people are like, we're living in a simulation. Let's say, let's entertain that hypothesis. I'm like, that doesn't really solve anything. It doesn't really answer anything because the fundamental core of being of a witnessing presence of consciousness is still experiencing then a simulation. It doesn't solve the mystery at all. If you, if I say this is a dream, which is more of the Hindu way of saying this is a simulation, that's not the answer. Mm -hmm. That's the jumping off point. If it's a simulation, then how am I experiencing the simulating? What mechanism is interpreting the stimulation? That's the mystery. Saying the world is a simulation gets us nothing other than a questioning beginning to go, okay, then what is the experiencer? What is, what is being itself that could experience a simulation or reality or a dream? That's true. I, I always get an kind of pissed off if someone tells me things like hey bro it's all a dream and i'm like i get it but it also feels really important and it it feels serious to me and i get that it's a or it's all a joke and i'm like i feel like it's a both and like it's got to be like my choices seem to really matter everyone's do but at the same time i have this concurrent feeling that it's a joke or it's a dream. And it's like, again, there we are at the mystery. This When you get these confluence of contradictions and paradoxes. Uh, but it, it, it does feel like it matters at the same time that it, it's okay, no matter what I do. It all, if you, this is one of my little mantras, and I, it came to me on a little journey. If it doesn't make sense, that's a very good sign. <laughs> that, that applies to generosity. 
Um, my dog annoys me, and it, whenever he annoys me, I'll give him a treat. It's very bad <laughs> for him. Embezzlement, yeah. <laughs> but um, if I really feel mad at my dog, that's when I'll like. Let's say I'm mad that he's begging for food, and that's annoying, and I'm in a bad mood, and that annoys me. That's when I'll give him like half of my sandwich <laughs> because it doesn't make sense. And that's what the plants told me. They were like, that's the good space. So there are sadhus and, and religious sects in India that like um, do everything absurd to illustrate that nothing matters. They'll throw shit at each other or whatever. I mean that quite literally. Um, there's shit stuff. There's blood stuff. There's all this like, what are you so scared of? This is nothing. And then there's pristine chapels where you, you, you quiet yourself and you have reverence and you bow and you might cross yourself and you, or soft organ music is playing. It's, it's both. Like, I don't, I don't mm -hmm. need, I don't need either extreme and I don't want to exclude either extreme. I know there are nihilists out there uh, really going like, this is bullshit. And I know there are people that go, not a leaf turns, but by, but by the mind of God. And I'm with you. I'm like, it's, both. I think that I would use the term God given that intuition that this matters while it also doesn't matter, uh, is, is the heartbeat. It matters. It doesn't matter. It, it matters. It doesn't matter. It matters. It doesn't matter. You know, I, I saw, um, there's a Buddhist Lama that came to give a talk in our little town in Southern Utah. Um, and man, it was, he just went on and on and people were asking about a lot of people are cow ranchers and stuff. And they're asking about eating meat and stuff. And he was kind of saying like, look, I mean, the karma, the thing, the blah, 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 you know, it's up to you. But basically he had a kind of hard line about it. And we, this is a four hour workshop. And when it was done, there was about a dozen of us there. We all went to uh, the restaurant in town and he's sitting at the table next to me. And I noticed he ordered a steak and I'm like, <laughs> that is fascinating. And then, He's eating a steak. He ate about half of it. And then he gave the other half to the dog. And I thought, maybe he's like hedging his bets there. You know, it's like, his, <laughs> oh, it's a little bit of uh, karma. I am. But then again, I gave it to the dog. And it's just like, I couldn't tell if he was giving me a teaching or fucking with me or if he even knew I saw him. Right, or if right. he's just like, well, yeah, I gave you the teaching and then I make that choice and it's a delicious steak. Or I don't know. Yeah. You know, and, that, that's in that realm. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Ram Dass has a great story about that. He was uh, he went through periods of vegetarianism. Um, I don't think in his entire life as a whole you you would say he's a vegetarian, but there were times when he was vegetarian. And in one of those times when he was vegetarian, he realized he was taking himself too seriously, and he went to a Chinese restaurant and he ordered spare ribs, and he did it very like as a as a both and sort of confusing himself sort of thing <laughs> and he ate them and the and the bones are on the table and then this he gave a blessing before he ate them and he was in his white robes this is in the late 60s early 70s i imagine and a businessman came over a traveling businessman and sat down he was like i, I just have to say i was really taken when i saw you bless your food and ever since then i've just been enamored with you i haven't been able to take my eyes off of you and they, they had a lovely chat over tea for a couple hours about spirit. And then the guy was like, I really struggle with food. And he goes, you seem like a holy person. What do you eat? <laughs> the punchline is Ram Dass looks down at his plate and there's all these bones. <laughs> and he wanted to be like, 
you know, eat flowers or, you know, eat the light uh, or eat plants, obviously. But he realized, you know, in that moment, he was the dog getting the half a steak. You know what I mean? Like combo number three is pretty good. I recommend it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I, 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 I'm not at that level, but I do catch myself when I'm eating really clean. I've been incredibly healthy for the past month or so. And there's a danger to it. I catch myself being a little bit more judgmental, obviously just in my private fleeting. Righteousness. Uh, I think I heard Raghu talking or introducing a talk in the last few months of Ramdas about that being maybe the central pillar in the spiritual journey is righteousness. Interesting. All the forms it takes. I'm like, oh man, yeah. It's like all the ways I think I'm better or not better or judging myself or others and that's why I, 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 that's the, at the core of my fleeganism, meaning I'm a vegan, but I'm a flexible vegan. And I can completely, like take, take for example, my favorite vegan fact, which is that the farming of animals is worse for the environment than air travel, car travel, uh, power plants, all, everything combined, it's worse, is, is just the carbon emissions of farming animals, right. factory farming animals. So if you're like really worried about global warming, the best thing you can do is stop eating steak or stop eating pork or so whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can have that. That's a that's that's a bulletproof argument. That's that's the end of the discussion. Forget about the morality of eating sentient beings that feel fear and feel pain. This isn't even vegan preaching, by the way. And then you get into that both and where you're like, and sometimes. I'm with my daughter and she eats an ice cream and she puts it in my face and I eat it (laughs) and I eat it and I'm having a absolutely loving connected moment. I get ice cream on my nose. She's laughing and we're eating and we're happy. And can I hold the tension of, I know how these cows were inseminated. I know that they were stripped from their babies, whatever you want to say. And in this moment, I maybe maybe I'm getting close. I, I'm not saying I'm I'm where that monk is eating a steak, but you get into that paradox. And if you're in a paradox of like it matters, it doesn't matter, or it's real but it's not real, I feel like that's the the rainbow flypaper. Yeah. That's the game. That's the joke. We're always in the paradox, a paradox, really. If you step back from you'll realize, oh, I'm always in it. And so there, there has to be that loosening of the grip in order to work with it because you can never hold it. Yeah. You can never fully grab it. And it's the grabbing that hurts so much, at least for me. And I think that's what I felt in third grade. I was just like trying to grab it and be like, I don't get this. Mm. And, but there's no one to show me another way. There was no right. elder that's like, well, he seems to have it figured out. It's like, you're all in it. And I don't think anyone's that satisfied with this uh, plan. Mm. Mm. Uh, and, I still feel that it's my still my motivating factor of like not wanting to feel lost in that Maya of just the treadmill because yeah. I know and no matter how exciting anything is that happens or hopefully I remember how horrible anything that happens it's still just this you were on the podcast with Ragu talking about the just this mm. that really stuck with me I heard that episode um, Ramdas said that to you right where he said like he said like it's just this just this moment. Yeah, and that phrase, just this, is it's echoing for me. Yeah. And it's so I, powerful because it's so true. 
I have it here on my desk. This is a Richard Rohr, Rohr book. I'm holding it up for... There you go. Just this, Richard just this. Rohr. I mean, that's a dude that gets it. You can say it in two words, just this, when you're mm-hmm. freaking out. I I mean, I say this all the time, but I, I rock my daughter to sleep a lot, and I'll say just this, just this, just this. And when Ramdas did it, another... Forget about his intellectual prowess for a moment. His ability to channel a frequency was incredible. And that story that I told was Ramdas was saying, just this moment, just this moment, just this moment. And it was the same. I, I didn't hallucinate, but it was, it was the feeling of those chords that you play on the piano that remind you of the place of the rainbow flypaper. He, he was a conduit. And I know that sounds very new agey and even more dangerous. It sounds like something you need, everybody listening and, or you, you need to do something special. You need to go to somebody special to get the, the opposite. It's the opposite. It's, it's, and that's what he, really- he did that to me too. When I first met him, it was just that complete loving presence. Just uh, that, that was the, just this. And he gave it to me so fully that I realized like, not only can anyone give this to anyone at any time, and by giving it's the golden rule, you're receiving it, you're feeling it. Mm. But he was just a guy who really dedicated himself to uh, practicing these things. And here he is in his old age, fully giving. It's like, I can do this too. It was inspiring. And it was like a, a gift that in, uh, he planted a seed in me. And that was, the, that was the best part of the whole experience was just those first few moments. That's right. And that I think that's, that's why I, I'm enjoying reading his biography and I love hearing the stories of him losing his temper or being petty or eating spare ribs or whatever it might be that's, that's your boundary that he's crossing or fumbling over. And there was still the channeling of absolute yeah. beauty and absolute truth and, and, and divinity. And that... I you know I say it all the time. One of the things I struggled with as as a as a believer, a Christian, was the exaggeration or the overstating of the specialness of Jesus. Um, when I've met so many other people that go like, "No, Jesus woke up to what you what you too were supposed to wake up." He like. took a shit too. Yeah, and, and he took a shit. He too. was lucky. Yeah, yeah, and and but he found what you're to find. Yeah. Like it's not just yeah. Oh, he scored a touchdown. Let's cheer. It's like get on the field, take the tackles, and throw the Hail Mary. There's your there's your joke. <laughs> take the curriculum, as R D would say. Um Yeah, you're on earth. Take the curriculum. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's very true. And it's just sort of uh it's powerful to think that. You can you can give that kind of pure love even when you feel so unworthy. You know your whole story and you know all the ways and everything that you don't know and all the shitty thoughts you have and all the things you've done in your life that you judge. And even amidst that, you can embody for another being the fullness of what you want to see back in a way. Mm. And anyone can do that and that's okay. Like you have license to embody that with your faults, the sacred and the profane coexisting. And that was hugely powerful for me. Charles Eisenstein, uh, the author, would be a great guest for you. Uh, you first introduced that idea to me of like, you can embody that for another being. It's sort of like, 
saying it's okay to like have it all at once. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Yeah. Somebody, oh, I talked about it with Bird Talker. We were like, if you want to be at peace, find the part of you that is peace and rest there. And you can do that with love and you can, meaning it's not like your only love, but you point your attention to the part of you that is love and you, and it, it floods you with light and you become that love. That doesn't mean you're not sometimes an asshole, you know, and it doesn't mean yeah. that sometimes you're wrong or petty or shallow or greedy or whatever, or jealous or whatever it might be, but you can, everybody has that part of them. And that's really important to remember when you're with your family that might be triggering or a difficult coworker or whatever. It's like, I I've told this before, but I saw a guy in, in the airport and his, and his shirt said black guns matter. And it was really triggering for me. It was at the height of that. I, we're still sort of in the height of that, but I mean, like it really was just becoming the forefront of the consciousness, the news cycle and everything. And I was like, this guy goes to the airport, which is <laughs> when you wear the shirt, yeah. you want thousands of people from around the world to see. And then I was like, and it, when he closes his eyes, he sees impossible sacred geometry. You know what I mean? Like when he's falling asleep, I remember falling asleep and, and I was, it was as if I, I was seeing things and paying attention to that. And it was as if I was sitting on a, like the, the a space shuttle and it was blasting off of earth and I could see the plumage of the smoke and the fire. And I saw it as perfectly as if I was really there. Wow. That guy does too. But I think you are too. I think what, what's unique about that was I was able to stay, keep a little thread to my conscious mind to, to notice it. But you are too, and so is that guy, meaning he has a dimension that is infinite love as well. He's, he's experiencing his own truth. It's there. It's there. Yeah, it's and you know, all drop, droplets in the same ocean. I mean, in that way, we're all part of the same thing. Um, and it's really not that he's some separate guy. You know, it, it's a trip, man, because I really it keeps going back for me to this information overload, information sickness, like how much we're able to bring in every day and and even just with air travel and stuff and and the pandemic has really shifted me about like seeing how much was inputting into my my system and the overload we can feel with that and what it does to us and how we're just not really built for that and it makes it even harder for your mind to wrap around these incongruent paradoxical truths <laughs> when you you see the physical reality around you there's so many bits of information now you're trying to put that into the equation as well and like yeah. well how does it make sense now because well, I, I learned this thing or i heard that article or this person i saw that one picture and like yeah it that's a tall order yeah space suit wasn't meant to handle that much at once we haven't no. really evolved to that no slowing down is always not touring not traveling I, I miss the audiences, but not traveling has been great because that's really what I'm saying is I'm walking through an airport. I didn't just see that guy's t-shirt and I didn't just flare up with a lot of anger and disgust when I saw him. Don't, don't never underestimate the pettiness of my unconscious mind. I'll judge and, and find dislike for everybody. I could, I could <laughs> see. I, I think I one time tweeted, I was on the Amtrak and I was like, I don't know why, but I hate the back of this guy's head. <laughs> And you know what? Like, I did. And I didn't know that guy. And it had nothing to do with him. I was experiencing the hate in me. I was experiencing the agitation in me. And it was just being mirrored onto whatever I was looking at. But the more that we see 
the more we sometimes have to face, like you said, information sickness, stimulation sickness, walking to the airport. So I, I went on a mission trip when I was 17 into the Amazon. And um, I think about those people all the time. It's the Yanomami Indians. And they knew stuff. Uh, they had their own psychedelic rituals, which sort of makes me sad because part of the church going there was like, let's put an end to that sort of nonsense. Um, but anyway, we we just built a house. There wasn't a lot of preaching. Right. Um, but they told stories. Just a house. It was just it was, and not a very good house. I'm not a good carpenter. But they told stories that some of the Indians traveled into South America, into Venezuela, that they took them on a plane. And of all things, they took them to Six Flags or something like that. It wasn't Six Flags, but they took them to a roller coaster. And they just exploded. They loved it. But I mean, it was so much. Yeah. And yeah, I was yeah. like, you take a Yanomami Indian and their mythology was they were the only people on the planet. I mean, for all they knew they were, there were these different tribes in the jungle, but they didn't have much of an understanding of other people um, for a very long time. Then modern, modern society came and that changed. But you take somebody like that, forget a roller coaster, walk them through O'Hare airport, hear the languages, hear, see the food, see the hurried looks on people's faces, see the t-shirts. I mean, that's a roller coaster in itself. And the, again, sorry, I know we're talking about psychedelics a lot, but the last time I took, a, I, I like to take 35 micrograms of, of LSE, which is very small, but I really like it. It's just enough to have an experience, but it's just small enough that you're still on earth. And um, I was in the car and just, and Val was driving, obviously. Um, and I was just really noticing what a, tr not a trauma, but what a, let's say what a trip it is to be in a car like the way that your body is like stopping and going and accelerating all these things that we've learned to mute because it's part of modern society when you're actually embodied and you're actually completely alive all the lights are on inside mm. you notice what a burden it is to your nervous system that you're like watching cars going 60 miles an hour passing yeah. you. I'm not saying fear. It wasn't just fear. I wasn't afraid. I, I was very calm. Data. I, just, <laughs> I was noticing the data. I was like, this is high speed internet. And that's, that's why so many of the traditions are like taking us back to chopping wood and carrying water. Cause it's like you get in the car and it's like, whoa, you're like traveling yeah. through super space. It's a lot. It's a lot. It's so much. Maybe those, like those Indians who thought they were uh, all the people, and like right now, Earthlings think we're all the people. Perhaps the Galactic Federation is saying, "You're not ready for more. You yeah, guys yeah. will explode. Your nervous systems can't handle like the mainline. There's so much more. Yeah, and, uh, you guys, you're gonna have to figure this out first. I like that theory. Just, just <laughs> like the Yanomami thinking they're the only people, we're like we're the only planet. And really, it's just they're like, if we take these fuckers to Six Flags, they'll die. <laughs> they will explode, yeah. To our Six Flags, <laughs> they will explode. <laughs> Let me ask you, uh, I've loved this conversation so much. I love your music so much. Everybody, we'll, we'll play, if it's okay with you, we'll play 10 Laws in the intro. Yeah, I was going to say, if you want to put any samples in, feel free. I really appreciate that. Uh, Just because we talked about 10 laws. You know, I, I hate it sometimes when I talk about music so much and then people are like, it'd be so much easier. It's like, and then play some of it. It's like, yeah. these yeah, people yeah. 
makes it a little easier. Well, what do you think? Should we play it while we're talking about it or play it in the intro so they go in knowing? Maybe both. I mean, if you don't, if you have, you don't do like doing the editing, it makes it more dynamic. It's kind of fun. You drop bits, you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Your call, it but it will make it a more fun listening experience for sure. Well, okay. Um, Katie, we'll talk about that when we get off. I have two, I have two final questions for you. One is so simple, so basic. It's going to, it'll make you laugh after everything we've talked about, how boring this question is. One of my favorite records of yours is the live album. Um, I think it's seriously. Awesome. Yeah, I really oh, like it. Wow, surprised. Okay, cool. I think you put together a really good set list, and it's a nice little uh, journey around the work. I think it's really good. <laughs> Do you have it on vinyl? I don't have it on. I'll, vinyl. I'll send you a copy if you. Oh, I would love I, that. Yeah, and I, I, I have a, a record player. Um, I just say that because somebody gave me vinyl recently, and they're like, "You can put that in a drawer." I was like, "No, I'll play this." Um, when you play a live show and you're working with, I assume you're playing the piano live and you're singing live, mm-hmm. but you're also in a song that has its own time mm-hmm. that incorporates samples. Mm-hmm. So without getting too into it, I'm sure you can cue up a sample at a certain point, but then there are all these times when you're playing and singing and I'm like, it's hard for me to imagine that he's also going, and now I have to push this button. But then I'm like, if if the samples are playing on a time baked into the song or any track, the peepers, the frogs, whatever it might be, yeah. how are you making sure the time is right? Is there a metronome? Is it <laughs> as, as, rigid, as rigid? Is it like, I have to stay in this time? Or is it more organic? I'm just curious how you perform your music live. Well, I'm happy to nerd out on it in a little bit. There's... The live rig I developed was challenging because it had to, I had to be able to travel with it relatively easily. And I had to be able to play anything from a medicine ceremony to an electronic set at a festival, so to speak. And how do you do this in one system? And so I have a Nord keyboard and that plays a lot of like the Fender Rhodes and the organs and the pads, all that stuff. Yes, a piano. And then a microphone for voice or shakers and things like that, or flutes or whatever. And then I have some looping pedals. I use boomerang looping pedals. So there's basically four loops. And think of them each as a brick. And then I have Ableton, which is the master mixing thing basically on the floor. So everything goes through Ableton for reverb and delay. Or I can start and stop clips. And the clips are like all sorts of frogs or birds or a particular kick drum or a particular hi-hat or Ram Dass saying a particular phrase. And most, I can play freeform, which is no click, but when I'm playing a song like, um, let's say Dark Thoughts you mentioned, that one's on the far end of the spectrum where there's more track because there's string parts, right? So unless I have live string players, I like to play the string parts. So that's now we're kind of locked into that and there is a metronome and I can start and stop Ramdas speaking or adding in other elements, but I'm playing as much as I can live. Whereas other songs, it's all looped. And the only thing I'm playing is maybe a cricket sample that I can turn on and off at any point or a, a hi-hat I can turn on and off at any point or things like that. I control their volume and things so forth. And I can add in my vocal and loop it or not, or I can, I can loop a part of the keyboard or not or reverse it or drop it an octave. So you actually can it gives you a lot of flexibility where 
I, if I want, I have a way I play 10 laws, you know, and it's, you know, I loop this part and I loop this part and then I start the kick drum and then I loop this and I do law one, law two, and then I sing this part. And it's like a game of Simon that you just get used to, yeah. but it gives me the freedom to feel inspired in the moment or whatever's just like any performer and you improvise. And you're like, actually, I'm feeling like, wouldn't it be cool if I added this new line in here? And I, oh, I loop that. And now it's different. And now I can start to, or I want to extend this. I do this a lot. Like I'll play a Ramdas song and then I start making up new chords for the song and new parts and then bring Ramdas back with some of the elements from before. And now it's like in a similar key and it's just reinventing it in the mm-hmm. moment That's versus a ceremony where there's nothing planned and there's no tracks I use field recordings, but everything's just developed through the looper in the moment. So cool. That's awesome. I'm glad I asked. That's really cool. Um, and then the last question we ask everybody is, uh, can you think of a time in your life where you laughed really, really hard? <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe the hardest you've ever laughed, but I, I like to take the pressure off it and just say, if you're crying laughing, yeah, how old are you? Who are you with? What happened? And it doesn't um, be a great story. Yeah, there was multiple times they all circle around the same thing, which is farts. Of and, course. <laughs> I, and I'm a part-time stepdad. I call it PTSD. And my part-time stepson is nine. And we, I was watching him one night and I said, I bet, I said, have you ever seen like videos of animals farting? And so we Google it and there's like a YouTube of like three hours of animals. <laughs> and we just sat there and he's nine and, you know, I'm 42 and we're just like equally crying, you know, at the hippo. Oh my God. The hippo great. with this propeller tail and the shit <laughs> flying everywhere and people's faces being like, and, 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 so I couldn't get enough of a good fart. You know what I mean? That's great. Animals waking up from farts, you know, of course. blaming another animal on their fart. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. That's a great answer. Yeah. And it's so funny, dude, that I'm going to be 42 this month. Um, so I'll probably be 42 when this drops. And you're 42. And when you were saying that the answer to the universe is woof, remember in Hitchhiker's Guide, 42. The is 42. <laughs> So we're we're in our meaning of life year. So I'm I'm glad to talk to you uh, as I'm entering it and you're in it. Well, it's all uphill from here. Uh, it's a joy to get to connect with you, man. I mean, I know we crossed paths a few times at the retreat, um, but uh, it's I really appreciate just like this time to uh, get to know you better. Oh, it was excellent. I wasn't ready to interview you. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't ready to see the Sasquatch because I hadn't yet. <laughs> <laughs> I met you in um, in Maui, and we had a really great chat. Um, but I hadn't yet had the experience that I needed to have with your music to become incredibly excited. I could have had you on the podcast just because I'm like, hey, we're interested in the same stuff, and it would have been great. But like having spent all this time with you, without you, but with you made me like super excited to talk to you. And I think, I think we did it. I think we had a great chat. I enjoyed it. It's very kind of you. Very generous. And East force is definitely like, uh, it's sort of the sleeper seed that gets planted in people. And that is a very common story where like they get introduced to it and they're like, yeah, okay. 
And then six months later or a year later, I, I hear, or years later, I hear from them and they're like, I had this particular experience with this thing that it all lined up and now I can't stop diving yeah. into this one piece and for what it does for me for this one thing. And it's like, I find that beautiful because I actually don't feel like I'm a part of that. I just feel like it's like kicking a, a child out to sea on a boat. Like you raised it, and now it has its own life, and I find that so beautiful. And it just is out there. It's like the, from honestly, I feel like it's the mushrooms working with you, not me. Yeah, you know, it's so cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rainbow flypaper. There you go. It's thing. <laughs> uh, well, thanks, man. Uh, let's stay in touch. I can't wait to uh, hear more of your stuff and continue to enjoy it. And would you? We always end with the guest saying, "Keep it crispy." Would you mind saying, "Keep it crispy"? <laughs> Keep it crispy. <laughs> always gets me thank you so much man lots of love to you appreciate you you. thank you
could be that we're all musicians singing our way through life together.